Hello and welcome to the Emotive Pixels podcast. This is season three, episode 13, Alan Wake 2. We're back with a sequel so quick. Uh, I am your host this week, Nate, and joining me is Craig. Hey. And Polly. Hello there. We begin, as always, with an icebreaker question, except this week, I don't know what it is. Polly, what is our icebreaker question? Well, I was trying to think of one, and for such a meta game, I thought that we could have a meta question. So the question I thought up is, what was your favorite Emotive Pixels icebreaker question of all time? <laughs> oh. oh, man. So um, to give you a moment to think about it, I believe this was a question. It was the first one that came to mind. I remember describing it and what other people said, so I'm pretty sure it was an icebreaker question, but I think the question was, uh, how do you want to die? Was that really so, one of our questions? Was that that had to yeah, have been well, post accident, preferred, right? Preferred preferred way of dying. Preferred death. And, oh and, yeah, wasn't it something about like drowning or burning? Well, I chose uh, jumping into a pool filled with liquid acid, but wow, that was just me. I mean, very cool. I, I'm not going to explain it again. This already happened. It's just about what my favorite was, and that was mine. That's fair. My favorite okay. was uh, what's your favorite two parter? Just because. I think it's pretty cool, all the directions we went with it. Yep. Um, that, that was one that I feel like really could have benefited from more time to research, though. And that's probably true. Gosh, I'm, like, trying to pull back into it. Um, I think What's Your Review of Humanity was actually, which is from this season. <laughs> is, yeah, that's really good. It's a pretty solid a one, too. good one. Yeah. <laughs> that is great. Damn, that should have been mine. Yeah. Per. Well, we're gathered here to talk about Alan Wake 2, which is a first-person shooter video game from it's Remedy not Entertainment. It's a first-person shooter? Damn. Did I, <laughs> this is what I called out the Dead Space. Shout out to last episode. <laughs> I thought you did that on purpose. No. I thought you were going somewhere there. would have been great. Nope. Definitely this a third-person. This is person. a third-person shooter game. By Remedy Entertainment, who have made other such games and uh, TV shows, which we're going to talk about. Uh, Craig, who is Remedy Entertainment? Where are they from? What have they made? How did we get this game? How, how did we appear here? Um, so a brief history of Remedy Entertainment. They were founded in 1995. So they're one of the, the old boys, I guess, from the uh, game industry. Someone that's lasted for quite some time. And they're headquartered out of Finland. So they're another Finnish game studio, uh, similar to Housemark. But they're famous for Max Payne um, originally, which is obviously like the introduction of bullet time into gaming. From there, um, Alan Wake followed that. And then uh, Quantum Break, which is uh, another Xbox 360 exclusive, followed by Control. And Control seems to have been their breakout hit that really brought a lot of people into what are Remedy games. And from there, um, they obviously went to Alan Lake too. Um, one other kind of critical piece about this is that Sam Lake is a director and writer for Remedy. And he's someone that has been instrumental throughout the entire history of the franchise. Um, he was actually a character or the face that the character was based off of for Max Payne. 
Um, he's been one of the primary writers on most of their games. So he's someone that's really had a creative influence that's been weaved through all of their games and specifically has kind of brought together the Remedy universe that uh, Control brought into it and then kind of retconned Alan Wake into and has continued to push further into with Alan Wake 2. Um, yeah, the, just really quick. The interesting thing I think about Sam Lake is like, as opposed to like a Kojima or something like that, um, he's like very like out front of the studio of Remedy because he's such a recognizable face because he is the face of Max Payne, yeah. you know? But he also like often, if you hear any of his interviews, he's not like claiming like I'm the sole creator of this or anything like that. He's constantly referencing his team and everything like that. So um, always talking about how it's a group effort and everything like that. So Although I think the auteur thing gets directed onto him, especially with him being so much in this game. Yeah. I don't think that's necessarily the case for the game creation. It rarely a, is, but. Yeah. I think that's a great call because he is like literally the marketing face that's going out there. He is one of the characters in the game. So there's a whole bunch of kind of meta narrative things happening just from that standalone point. But he is someone that is very much, you know, hey, this is a Remedy game. It's not a Sam Lake game, which I think is really cool. Um, a little bit on the history and development of the sequel also. So we did the podcast, obviously, on Alan Wake 1 earlier this year. And that game, despite how big this one has become, that game was a cult classic. It did not sell very well. It wasn't a huge game at the time. Um, and Microsoft who owned the publishing rights, uh, but didn't own the IP, was not interested in a sequel. So while Remedy wanted to do Alan Wake 2, Microsoft instead was like, hey, we're not interested. That didn't sell what we wanted it to. Can you guys go work on something else? And that's where Quantum Break came in. Um, they did have a bunch of sequel ideas that ended up going into the, the downloadable content kind of expansion or standalone follow-up um, American Nightmare and again not a huge uh, success and from there there just wasn't enough financial backing to fund an Alan Wake sequel um, obviously the studio continued to have Alan Wake as one of their kind of main tentpole characters that they wanted to come back to they wanted to revisit that story and in 2019 they acquired the rights to Alan Wake from Microsoft and then subsequently signed with Epic Games Publishing in 2021, which really helped to pave the way for financial backing to release Alan Wake Remastered and then subsequently Alan Wake 2. So it's been kind of a, a troubled or uh, a lengthy development timeline to get to where we're at. Um, but they, they were finally able to make the game they made. And I think actually the time given or the time break between the series ends up playing to the sequel's benefit but we'll definitely get into as we continue on are they in a publishing agreement with epic or did they go into a part ownership agreement so they're in a they had a two-game publishing agreement with epic and i believe epic did do a uh, minor investment into the studio um i know tencent uh which is a chinese company um acquired a minority stake as well so i think that there is some additional funding that has gone into them from both epic and tencent 
Did Tencent separately? I mean, I guess this is semantics, but Tencent yeah. partially owns Epic, right? So isn't the yeah the investment stake is through? Or did they also invest in? They Remedy? also invested separately a minority stake. So I was just curious. Did they just take all the funding and put it towards Alan Wake 2? Because they didn't do much <laughs> to the remaster, from my understanding. Um, I was I was just thinking of that as you were saying it, and like obviously we we talked about Alan Wake one recently, yeah. Um, and we weren't huge on it, and a big part of that for me was probably like I'm curious if some work was done to make Alan Wake a remake. Does do you guys think that that could make this game bigger, or is the surprise of its quality a success factor for how how well it's doing in in reviews and in the public eye and whatnot? You're saying like if they spent more of that money on a good remake, would that warm up audiences for this more? I'm I'm kind of wondering of myself if like there was if the remake was a higher quality if it was, instead of a remaster and a not a great remaster at that in my opinion because I had lots of bugs I ran into um, if it was more of a remake and it had like some of this graphical prowess behind it like if that would make me more excited for this or not it's just a question I was thinking of yeah we don't necessarily have to get into it now but I think there's probably uh, an extent here where I think I they think the less of Alan Wake that... one the better game yeah. was and was like hey like we can either put funding into that or continue to build off of where we left off with control and yeah um let that be the the piece that most people recognize for remedy and they're like hey if, if fans want to go back to alan wake remastered it's there there's a modern way to play it but this is not um kind of a, a relaunch for the franchise like alan wake 2 which kind of presented itself almost as a separate but related thing yeah, it is. I mean, to your point, Paul, it is interesting that this is called Alan Wake 2 rather than like some other thing within the Alan Wake canon. Yeah. Because it doesn't feel that much like a sequel. Uh, yeah, well, I'm sure we'll talk more about that. It's a continuation, though. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 The, the narrative has such a direct vibe to it, but it's like, or, you know, direct line, but the a decade apart, you're like, these are just different games. Yeah, I I don't think this game like wants to convince you to play Alan Wake one in the way I yeah. think a lot of like things media with number two in the title does. Yeah. Well, interestingly enough, after playing this, I'd be more interested in going. I would actually be interested in going to a remade Alan Wake one after playing Alan Wake two. I think that Zero that could interest. be a a neat way <laughs> if they remade it though, like not not a remaster, but like new voice actors, new dialogue, <laughs> things like that. You want a new about that game. Well, okay, okay. Right. I think that's just Alan Wake too. Yeah. yeah, I think yes. <laughs> um, so before we dive into the plot summary, I kind of want to talk a little bit more about the game and how it's played as a game. This time I'm gonna get the genre right. This is a oh, third oof. person shooter that really is partially a shooter with the some, some some of the same kind of like flashlight based mechanics from the first game. But there's also a lot of uh, Charlie Day and It's Always Sunny detective board connecting. You're playing as two different characters, each of which have different like abilities. There's a detective who's trying to piece together the, the mysteries of what's happening in the game. And there's also Alan Wake, the novelist, who's kind of able to use a similar sort of writer's room to kind of reshape the events of the world. 
you toggle between playing the, each of the characters as you move through kind of a, a mystery story that each of them have like complementing perspectives on. Uh, is there anything else you think we should say about like how this game is mechanically played? Not at this time. I mean, I have thoughts about those aspects, but Definitely. more personal than than how it's presented. Well, great. Then the, the moment we're all here for, Craig, what happens in this game? What is the plot? Um, There's like writer and something, something happens with an FBI agent and then you kind of finish up the game. Um, Boom. <laughs> A plus. All right. Polly's so, greatest fear. Polly's greatest fear. Uh, I encourage everyone to settle into a nice comfy position because we're going to be here for a while. Yes. So the plot starts out with a naked man wandering up on shore, getting attacked by a cult and his heart cut out of his chest. And you're like, all right, I guess this is where we're going. Um, but as that becomes investigated, uh, FBI special agent Saga Anderson, that's you, playable character number one, shows up with her partner Alex Casey um, in the town of Bright Falls, which is a where Alan Wake 1 took place, to investigate a bunch of ritualistic murders. Um, once they get there and start investigating it, they find out that the naked man was actually an FBI agent, uh, Robert Nightingale, and he was murdered by a group called the Cult of the Tree. And Saga also finds that there's a manuscript page that seems to predict what the future that she's going to experience is. And it was written by Alan Wake, who had disappeared years and years and years prior, I think 13 years prior to this. Um, as she goes to continue to investigate and perform an autopsy, Nightingale reanimates as the Taken, um, which is kind of when the dark place takes over a person and trying to kind of break back into the world. After she defeats him, Alan Wake or so she believes, washes up on shore of Cauldron Lake, and they, uh, both her and Alex Casey end up finding him. So at this point, we believe that Alan Wake is back from the dark place where he left off at the end of Alan Wake 1, and we also learn that the Federal Bureau of Control, there's the control reference, is also investigating things that are happening within Bright Falls and seemingly uh, mysterious events. As you continue on through the game, uh, you find additional manuscript pages. There's these things that are seemingly rewritten for what's happening in the real world. And with that, you get different characters affected. So Saga, your main character, finds out that her daughter is dead in this world and has moved to Bright Falls, even though that's not the life that she's lived, but it's the life that she's lived crafted by the manuscript pages that you're finding. Um, Alex Casey is also investigating a separate murder cult in New York who's dedicated to bringing back Alan Wake by reenacting murders described in his books. Um, once you find out about Alan, uh, you find that he's also been trapped in the dark place and was writing a story to get himself out of. And within that space, he kind of created a version of New York um, that he was in and was able to be on a talk show with a character named Mr. Door. And within that world, he was able to find an angel-shaped lamp that let him navigate the dark place um, and try and find you know, his old home where his wife was. And he finds the trail of Alex Casey's investigation 
of the murders that were happening there and a, another cult called Cult of the Word. And this Cult of the Word was uh, being run by Alan's evil doppelganger, Mr. Scratch. Remember that name? Uh, who is trying to escape the dark place and break through the world and kind of come back into it. And he was the one that was, you know, setting up these different murder scenes. Um, as Alan investigates the murder scenes and tries to rewrite the story to come to a place where he can escape it, he also starts to, like, bridge a gap with Saga, who we find out is a seer and has kind of a historical lineage in her family where she can... Uh, explore a mind place and connect the dots and connect things better than than most and is able to build a connection with Alan Wake. Um, when we're swapping back and forth between the characters, as Nate mentioned, you're going back between each of their stories playing out in real time as they're both exploring different parts of the world. Um, and back in Saga's world, she's tracking down who she finds to be her old family, which is Odin and Tor Anderson, who are uh, both members of a band from the first game as well and live in a trailer park. And they're able to help her track down the clicker, which is an object of power that can help close the gap or connect to the dark place um, when it's combined with creative works. So the clicker was the main element in Alan Wake 1 as well that helped bring a close to that game. Um, so it's one of the most important kind of pieces of uh, Alan Wake material. Um, Saga finds out that Alan wasn't the one that washed up in shore. Instead, it was Scratch, and he's been playing everyone. And that's why Alan is still in the dark place, and it's actually Scratch that's in her world. Uh, she goes to battle Scratch with the help of the Federal Bureau of Control, and they blast him with light that sends the darkness out of him and inhabits Alex Casey, who's nearby. Um, and Saga realizes that she's going to need Alan's help, who's still trapped in the dark place, to find a way to get the darkness out of Casey. Um, as you're exploring the world as Alan as well, he realizes that his wife Alice committed suicide because Scratch was also haunting her within the darkness. And that leads him in a place where he recognizes that he needs to rewrite the story um, to find a different ending. And it needs to be within the constraints of a horror story because that's what Scratch has been editing his book into. So um, he's been rewriting and trying to... Uh, you know, bring things back together. Uh, so Alan actually determines that Scratch is not a doppelganger, but is actually the same person. And uh, that if there's a way that they can bring things together and bring the darkness back into him, then Saga can uh, be the hero and shoot Alan with a bullet of light, which seemingly kills him and Scratch um, and ends kind of the invasion of the darkness. And that's pretty much where the game ends, leaving with a post credit scene that um, Alan was shot in the head, and there's a recording afterwards that shows that Alice regained her memories and actually tricked Alan into committing that she committed suicide um, and shares that the loop is actually not a loop. And Alan revives and says that it is not a loop, it's a spiral. And spirals have ends, so it's not doomed to repeat itself.
All right, I have a couple thoughts. Number one, best piece of recorded content we've ever had on this podcast. <laughs> that was the best plot summary since Matt's fucking bastion lay down that everyone was speechless by. That was great. And for as much as it wasn't great, that's not your fault. It's the game's fault because it's a very confusing plot. Yeah, and Number I didn't two. even mention a bunch of other characters that are in. Like, Ati, the janitor who comes from Control, is there to help. It, it's There's just things happening all over the place. There yeah, is a I lot. Think, I think Wait. we could talk about the characters, but as far as the plot, uh, great job. Uh, there are some, like, confusing points that, like, we could argue about. Like, who actually is Scratch is Scratch. Um, all those things. But but overall, yeah, absolutely. Wait, I just let me hit you with a question off the top. Is it's not a loop; it's a spiral. Dumber than the ending of Alan Wake One's, like, what was it about the ocean? It's not a lake. It's not a lake. It's an ocean. ocean. Which one's dumber? It's not a lake. It's an ocean. Is definitely dumber. I think. I think. I think it's not a loop. It's a spiral. Although that's something that we probably figured out a long time ago. Um, actually made mm. I, I think it redeems the it's not a lake it's an ocean thing a little bit uh, it like, like makes fun of it early on in the game yes it multiple does multiple times yeah yeah uh, let me ask you guys a question you guys know anything about postmodernism no not much okay great I think that's gonna come up a fair amount in this episode oh boy because uh, I'm going to reveal my thoughts about this game early instead of waiting for the end. Oh, fuck yeah. I am completely torn right down the middle as to whether this is a great game or a bad game. (laughs) And I have no clue which, like, when I was playing it, when it's firing in all cylinders, I'm like, this is the greatest game ever made. But when I think about it, there's so many like like none of it really connects it's it's very confusing and that took me into thinking about postmodernism um do either of you have the same conundrum that i have wondering whether this is a good game or not i'm kind of confused by what parts of it weren't good for you because overall i i enjoyed the story and I wanted to know what would happen and I had hopes and aspirations for where the story would go and I'm not sure if they were all paid off or not that some of them were clearly not but that's more there's more to come I suppose but for me the parts I did have moments where I was like I don't know if this is a good game but it was more in the mechanics especially towards the end of the game I feel like a lot of it was towards the end they had a lot of stuff to to cover and they were just like we'll just do it all in this room and you could (laughs) you could figure it all out right now and then you know how are we going to come up with the end we're just going to say it we're going to say it right here next to each other like those were the things about it where i was like i don't know this seemed a little ham-fisted but overall i thought it was it was it was good um i i I appreciated many of the loops and spirals it tried to take i didn't come into this conversation wondering is this a good or a bad game i came into it with this is a great game and i have no idea if it's brilliant or if it's the dumbest piece of material i've seen all year 
Yes, I think the two of you put together what I should have started with, which <laughs> is that my like my thoughts on this, I think, are largely pertaining to the narrative. I definitely have yeah. more concrete thoughts on the mechanics and stuff. That seems more straightforward. Yeah. But like the way it ends, I'm like, well, you sure did end a story. But sure done it, did that. It, it, like, yeah, it, I don't even know how to uh, how to really get started on this. Well, um, I mean, it felt like they kept they kept adding more and more things to try and like build out this world and also started to reference themselves and the world that it did create which might get more into like how does the postmodernism show up within this type of um a story yeah i wish i knew where to start this but i i think the the one of the hallmarks of postmodernism in media is like excessive external references. Mm. And this game's sort of like, um, obviously it makes sense for it to lean on the first game, but it kind of leans on the first game in almost like a self-aware kind of way. It's like making fun of itself. It's making fun of other media. Remedy, it seems like as a studio, has kind of this aesthetic of overlaid imagery personally i feel like their their art style and i think this was true in control this has been true for a while like the flickering of film overlaying a game that i guess also the mixed media is also yeah. a hallmark of like all of this like porous if we go if we step briefly into literary theory modernism which is like a, a movement of the arts that started in you know the 19th and 20th century is about like discovering the essential universal truth. Modernism in art oftentimes was experimental. So it's easy to think like, you know, like if you think of James Joyce and Ulysses and these kind of books that are like breaking with form. Um, but what kind of unites them all is that they're trying to find, yeah, one essential truth. Like Craig, what's that museum Denver has about the one artist that kind of like progressed over oh, his career? Oh, the Clifford from, Steele Museum. Yes, the Clifford Still Museum is interesting because you can watch one artist who was like an American artist interested in depicting like the human. Like you can watch him progress over his career into the abstract from like ultra realistic paintings into like just vague shadows. And it's interesting because you can see that he's trying to like as he's painting these highly abstract things that are confusing to look at. He's like he claims that he's trying to find the like true essence of humans which is interesting. So so basically like what we should take from that is that like in modernism even the abstract is supposed to like draw you back to the one universal truth. Modernism in the sciences is about like uncovering the laws of nature and the like the secrets of the atom, like what is true? What is what is universally true? But after uh, I like the definition of it it says after the explosion of the first atomic bomb there's like well, wait, what we should define as true is everything that we can just see around us as self-evident. Mm. And that means that different people are going to have different truths. So in postmodernism isn't really a movement that's defined in the same way. And that's why a lot of people get upset when you label media postmodern. It's like, what does that actually mean? No artist is going to like claim that they're making postmodernist media. But one of its like hallmarks is multiple multiple truths, and I think we live in kind of an era of postmodernism as we begin to like 
I think it's interesting from like a political theory perspective. Like in the early 20th century, we were doing things like uh, um, eugenics, right? We were trying to find like the source of truth of what was human. What there was this, there was a time where we thought we could answer what was the most human. Let's make the best human. And part of the reason that that fell down is like, oh, that's not a very good idea because some things <laughs> don't have like an essential truth. There yeah. isn't a most human human. So we live in a time where many voices are being considered. And the, the weird implication of that is that there might not be a universal truth. What's different for different people might be pretty different. So to bring all that back to Alan Wake, like Alan Wake is kind of a story about like uncertain truths and not really understanding what's going on and kind of your belief in what's true shaping reality in a way that like, um, like literally can control real life. Like Alan Wake just deciding to phrase things differently in his page, reshaping the world is a pretty postmodernist idea. There's a lot of like theory connections there. Um, what's interesting about that is that like what we look for in a story is kind of a straightforward arc of like, this leads to this leads to this. And this is the conclusion. Yeah. But, but Alan Wake doesn't really have a lot of that. It's kind of, like, and I think this is what makes the question, like, is the story good? Really hard to evaluate because it's full of dos, deus ex machinas, do sex machinas. <laughs> <laughs> and like, even self-referentially so. And it makes it really hard to evaluate that same, like a plot and the same kind of like A to B to C kind of conclusion that we usually use for other media. Well, and what's annoying is it's like self-aware of that, which kind of makes it immune to criticism. When he picks up the phone at the end of the game, he's like, what deus ex machina is this? He says, so I'm my own deus ex machina. Yeah. yeah. And he, yeah. I, I, think, I think, like, instead of saying it's like a, is it a good or a bad story? I think it's, I, I think I enjoyed it. I think it's a good story. But I also think that they had fun with those references and made it pretty clear that they're aware of it which compared to the first game did not was not nearly as clear yeah no. totally um, which which to me made it less pretentious not that there isn't pretension in this game um alan wake the character is like clearly pretentious and referred to as so but the game is aware, or the story, I guess, is aware of that. Saying story in this is a hard thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> it's very, it's very self-referential, though. Like, um, I don't think it gets too far into other references, other than references to the world of this game and and other other game worlds within this and the creation of the game and things like that. So it's very self-referential. It's very meta. And I feel like that's just them having fun, really, with the story. And it I feel is, like but that it's like, shows it's fun for us, too, kind of. Yeah, and I think that that's one of the, like, with media that's this self-referential, like, at the end of the day, the difference between good and bad is if it's fun and if it's, like, more fun than it is wearyingly stupid, I guess. Yeah. I think the other piece to kind of jump onto the, the postmodernist take is, like, the structure of the game is done in such a way as well as far as being able to choose which episodes you're playing or which um, character you're playing as and what viewpoint you're seeing and being able to go further than the other character has and being able to 
like shift the world dynamics differently. And within those, you don't know what truth is, which I think is like the really interesting point. It's like you never truly can settle into who actually has the objective truth of like what is the world at this point. Totally. Is Saga actually right? Is Saga a real human or that had a previous story or was her story always the one that Alan had written because he needed a hero? Like, is is she real? Totally. And because it's so self-aware, it kind of secures itself against criticism, like, which I think is really fascinating. Like, you can be like, well, the ending was a deus ex machina and that sucked, but <laughs> Alan Wake already called that out. Well, well, for me, though, the, the points that Craig is calling out is is sort of a important theme to the actual plot where a lot of this is about like self-doubt and like Alan, like obviously falling into a creative pit is like really what it's about and things yeah. like that was references like the game not being able to be made for so long and being stuck in the dark place for 13 years and things like that. And Saga then also has all the, the, the one scene really where she, she confronts her self-doubt and things like that. And like both characters, how they deal with that in different ways. Um, and Alan, like, I think Alan realizes like, he's not, he's not the hero, but Saga kind of like, you're the hero too, you know, kind of gives him that. But like. I think that's a important character growth point and, and one of the main themes serious of the story. But on the other side of that, there is the things you're talking about where they're also poking fun at it and how stupid it is, which which makes it more fun than it is annoying or reductive of the story. Yeah, how does the game, how does the story avoid becoming exhausting? What a good question. It never takes itself. Well, that's not quite true, is it? Yeah. It treats I think the mis- its subjects and actions with a level of seriousness that, like, this person is dying or this person is um, having some sort of, you know, existential crisis or, like, whatever those things are, right? Yeah. It is truly a master of tone. Like in the, this is like a, if this were a film, like the edit here is fantastic in that, like all these things, like if they were moments out of sync from what they are would be (laughs) totally different. Like the, like that scene where the dark place emerges from what's his face in the hospital room is like as cool as the opening of the last of us. Like it's uber serious grave, like, it's just perfect. And then, you know, before long, it's kind of being laughed at and played with. But when it needs to, it comes back to that seriousness. It's really cool. Yeah, they break it up with with um, humor in great ways, too, like introducing the Coscello brothers and yeah. other fun things that we don't always have to be. It's important for a horror game too, but not even addressing the horror the horror aspect of it. It doesn't have to take itself so seriously all the time either. It, yeah, it balances that well. I feel like, um, but there are some very serious points and things like that. Like, uh, I found myself very, um, very engaged in Saga's story and very careless about Ellen's story. 
which I thought was kind of funny considering this is Halloween too. I feel like that's intentional too, don't you? It feels right? like it. Yeah. yeah. It definitely felt like, hey, Saga is the the person that you should like grapple onto. And I am curious to, to your point, like the referential piece, do they look back at it and similar to us when we look back at pieces of work that we made a decade ago and they're like, man, that, that was fun to make, but like, turns out Alan Wake's kind of a pretentious dickhead and that's not really the person that you want to make a character to, to like root for. And also his writing is hysterically terrible. So like, let's instead drive into that. And that's something we talked about, like quantifying dickishness, I think was the name of our (laughs) Alan Wake episode. And like, it's almost like they took that community feedback and like, we're like, yeah. And they didn't get rid of it. He's still kind of a dick, but like in a different way, he's just kind of less, he's more subdued now because he has, he doesn't really have much power other than his dark side, which they kind of allude to the fact that there is no Mr. Scratch. It's just the dark part of Alan Wake and the dark presence inhabits those aspects and things like that. But that was confusing to me because I thought it was always kind of implied that Mr. Scratch was just a figment of Alan Wake. Yeah, that that is the same too. When they were like, he is a doppelganger, and I'm like, I think we're just going with like Freud's constructs here. <laughs> like, yeah, like, and, and definitely. That, that was something that they dragged out for a little bit too long where I thought it was pretty clear that Alan Wake was doing the things that he thought Scratch was doing and things like that. So, But that's when I started realizing the plot doesn't matter. Like, but yeah. I do want to get back to like one of the things I read was um, as they were writing the story for this game, they actually referenced fan wikis quite often. What? Yeah. That was like one of the tools they used to see how like they were like referencing the original game stories and things like that. Well, aren't fan wikis supposed to be documentation of their intents in the first place? What do you mean by I don't, referencing I don't, fan wikis? I don't think a lot of game developers for their storyboarding would reference fan wikis and fans views of what happens in the original game because the original game was so mysterious and like, like the, the end, like I think it's pretty clear they took the feedback from it's not a lake, it's an ocean and made sure to like, this is a part of the story and we're going to talk about it in the game. And they did, they made fun of it because that's what the fans would have wanted. They didn't want us if they like described, Hey, Turns out it's not a lake, it's an ocean was a really smart thing to say. <laughs> right. It wouldn't have gone over well. Uh, totally. I mean, I think they were, you know, I heard some people before this came out that went back to the original and said things like, it's obvious, it's self-aware. But they did a really cool job of going back and really reinforcing the fact that they knew Alan Wake's a dick while also elevating the kind of like overall subtlety of the writing around it, which is really impressive. So question for you, Nate, like when we're talking about postmodernism in games and we can talk about maybe some other examples that we think of here, like why create within that framework? Like if you're going to make a game and do it as such here, like it's done with the intentionality that it's not like they accidentally backed into postmodernism. It's not like, oh, we wanted to make something that was kind of self-referential and then we kind of like ended up here. It feels like there's so much of it that there's no way that you could have gotten here without it being highly intentional. Like, why? 
Uh, I'm going to edit, just for reference, I'm going to edit this because it's unacceptable. I forgot the name. What's the thing that Control is like referencing? The website full of the stories? Not SCP. House. SCP, thank oh, you. Oh, that's right. I think uh, like Remedy as a studio is really interested in like two things. Like the mixing of media, like mixed media. Yeah. And I think with Control, they either stumbled into or had like always been looking for a way to like integrate SCP type content into their games. And Can like you Control- remind like what SCP is or like how that is referential here? Yeah, SCP Secure Contain Protect, Secure Containment Pro Protocol is like a website of uh, user-generated Fan, like short stories and novellas that goes back to kind of the early 2000s, I think, full of these, a very particular type of um, story writing that's kind of like Lovecraft. It's very surreal. I mean, I guess the premise of an SCP is that there is a, 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 a number... Okay, there are, there are these objects in the universe that have such terror properties that they have to be contained by like an, an agency that has to contain their power from spreading to destroy the rest of Earth slash humanity slash whatever. Yeah. So SCP articles usually are numbered after the like, each one's about an object that is too dangerous to get out. And not ha not having finished control, I don't know like how explicitly con like control flirts with SCP, but it's very obvious explicitly. That... Great. Yeah. The, the I mean the objects of power itself is already like yeah, and they're literally in a, a giant containment clue. facility and numbered like. Yep. Okay. Great. Yeah. So so I think that like if you're interested in those two things, like the mixing of media is already taking us a little bit in that direction. SCP is very surreal and interested in like the interfacing of different layers of reality and things so powerful they can destroy central concepts of truth. Like you're pretty much just there in postmodern media if you're interested in SCP. Um, you can write it in a way that's like not postmodern, but I think the mixed media thing kind of pushes it over the edge. And I yeah. think with that cocktail of like interests, what's the best version of what's going to come out is kind of this like truly self-aware like especially given the source media of Alan Wake 1. Like, I think this is like the, I don't want to say the only, but I think it's kind of the smartest way they could have gone. Well, like to demonstrate their growth as a studio, the growth of kind of narratives and media in general that have happened since 2010, like who we're interested in hearing from and what their perspectives are, are just so much different than they were in Alan Wake. Like, so I guess long story long, I think all those things come together and kind of form this, like, do I think they could have made a version of this that was much more interested in telling like a really straightforward story about like some horror that is like too big to contain? Maybe, but I think that their like interest in style and like, like push, like this game wants to show you things that are outside of the, a really straightforward telling of the plot, I guess. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that's really different between Alan 1 and this. I suppose it also gives them uh, more free license to explore yeah. like creative avenues that wouldn't logically fit into a standard narrative, right? Like you're you to totally. play with uh, the construct of what is reality. And yes, if you want to interact in that space, like you need something to help get you there. I do have one last kind of literary question on, on postmodernism, which is, 
a lot of art or at least different categories of art usually have like a driving force that they're hoping that people can take away from it. Does that exist within postmodernism or is it much more, this is a reference to, to the world and the views and how that interacts with your own personal experience is for you to come away with? Uh, I don't have enough education in this to really answer that question, but my perspective is that postmodernism, one of the reasons is that it's not really, that it's hesitatingly granted status as a full artistic movement is that it yeah. doesn't really have a central message. It exists in opposition to modernism. It's okay. interested in deconstructing those universal truths and saying that those aren't fully right. Your mileage may vary on whether you think that that, like, is that a movement or is that just like a societal trend of healing or something like that? Sure. And that's my main question about postmodernism as it relates to Alan Wake 2, because although it does reference that, I don't know how well it does it. No. It, I don't know if it's a strong suit. No, but but that <laughs> so much of post like if we are to grant this, like the title, like there are people out there for whom describing anything as postmodernist is infuriating and pretentious on its own because it is so lacking of a central tenant. But like, I think like, one thing that this really, anything. exactly. But one thing that it enables, and I don't know if this is like, maybe this would be fun to talk about. Like when you approach something in this context, it enables you to like add, what I think is interesting is like, this is a really cheesy to outright bad plot <laughs> that the injection of all these like surrealist elements and external referentiality makes feel really interesting and good. And like your media critics of your 20th century, your, your Siskel and Eberts would tell you that that makes it bad, but it doesn't, it's actually quite interesting and it's exciting. And one of, it's one of the things that our generation has seen in media that's new to our generation is this like excessive external referencing and like, one other like interesting example is like I read this Romanian book called The Censor's Notebook and it kind of explored the idea of censorship as like a modernist construct that the purpose of censorship isn't to restrict dangerous information from getting out but that the purpose of censorship is like to build the perfect piece of media and to like help shape authors that might not realize what they're trying to get at into writing like the perfect text because there is like perfect works of art that you can like that your culture can work hard into producing. Um, and I think a lot of like media criticism is about like, oh no, this is, they did this wrong. This would be better if they changed this. Yeah. And I think that like a lot of this, like Alan Wake approach is like designed to like skirt those criticisms and be much more interested in like, Leo, let's have fun. Let's reference, let's play. And I think that it gives high art a way to like bring in silly or bad plots, which I think is really cool. And I think that that's what, that's why it works here. Like it lets them make a triple A blockbuster game in 2023 with a bad plot that everyone's like, this fucking rules. I mean, it's literally a game of the year nomination this year. Absolutely. Does any of that spark, like, is that just me being pretentious or does that like, does that hit an interesting note with you guys? The bad plot part is the only thing <laughs> that- You think really it's good? Bad plot, bad. I don't think it's it's all good. I think there's many good aspects to it. 
I think Alan Wake's portion of it is bad. Well, it, it's like but they're choosing to like, re-engage with a bad game plot, right? From and I almost, yeah, yeah I almost we... feel like that is purposeful. Like they exactly they yeah. embrace it and things like that. So, right. like, but but I feel like reducing it to a bad plot. Like I feel like a lot of work went into this to actually make it engaging on other levels than just sticking to Alan Wake's story. Like absolutely the whole the whole part where like Saga could be a character, but also Alan could be a character is a reference back to the original game where you had Tom Zane, which is a whole nother aspect of this story that doesn't get answered too much and just is open-ended. But yeah, Thomas Zane could have been the original. This is a topic that came up on our podcast. He could have been the writer. Alan Wake could be a figment oh. of Thomas Zane's imagination yeah. and things like that. And if that is the the actual truth of this, then that changes the whole plot of the game where, of course, he's a bad he's a bad writer but but i guess i just feel like the game's tone makes it such that like arguing those semantics like the game's already like kind of laughing at its own plot it's like it doesn't really matter man it's a feeling it's a vibe like it does a very agree with that just because i feel like so much work was was put into this to make it matter regardless of the fact that they're having fun with it well, that raises the question, like, is it pretentious to put tons of work into making, like, a cheesy story, like, <laughs> incredibly high ambition? That's a hard question for me because I think there there's definitely pretentious parts of this game. And normally I would be like, does does the ending pay off? But this game almost, like, makes me question that, where it's like, I don't know if they need... I think they already they already, like sold me on the fact that yeah we're being pretentious sometimes but we're not all the time so we have things to they do have they do have important human elements of this story that um that make sense and evoke emotion and things like that so they're not just like pretending that they have an important story they are not saying like this this all doesn't matter it's just a wank to have a good time Um, yeah and and part of it's like the technical like they show that they can write a kick-ass character. Yes. Like, and to that point, like Saga, like a multifaceted, like a, not a white dude. Right. (laughs) And, um, (laughs) right. When I think about it, it's like, when you think about like the term pretentious, right. It's, you're thinking about something that's like exaggerating its importance or trying to like elevate the stature to a point that it doesn't make sense. And like, I don't think at any point, they really try and do that with any of the components of this. It's like, sure, we're going to reference things, but like, I never got a feeling they were trying to be like, so up their own ass, even though it is hilarious looking back at all of the things that it references from Alan Lake one that it tries to bring (laughs) back in as far as like Thomas saying you referenced, there's like the old woman that like had the light room that was at the end of the game. Like she shows up in this, like you have all these, obviously the, the musical number, which we must get into, but like you have all these pieces here that are a bunch of like, kind of, uh, uh, dolls on a, on a map to play with, which like literally comes up in the game as well. Like a bunch of characters they can move around and like do interesting things with, um, that I think is, is interesting but it is a uh, different aspect when you get into the plot like polly was saying when you're talking about is it good or or not i i i'm curious and not just keep asking more questions but like 
can can you f- close the loop on a postmodernist take like that's where so. it seems like it fell down in my perspective is like trying to figure out like how the fuck do we close this like i don't know like there's too many threads there's too many things that have gone spiraling in different directions that you have different perceptions of Great question. I feel like almost all media that plays with surrealism or questions reality in any way is like almost always criticized for how that how it ends. And it feels like I mean most games get criticized. I, I don't maybe this is even broader, right? Like most narrative gets criticized for how it ends, right? The most common thing that you hear when someone reflects on uh I don't know Game of Thrones is, is that... or Harry Potter or something of okay. that nature, right? Like these large pieces of work that people spend hours and hours with, it's usually hung on how does it come together at the end? And did that make the experience worthwhile? At least, you know, if we're going to talk about like the broader meta narrative of how things are received by pop culture. And, and saying it received by a pop culture too is a whole other thing. Like ma- the masses don't always agree on our art. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> but at the, at, at the same time, like, I think this game, in, in the greater game gaming space, from what I've heard from reception, is it's being applauded for doing those things. And not only do not a lot of other companies refer, reference their own materials so enthusiastically, but not another a lot of other game companies could do that. Yeah. Right. Um Hideo Kojima probably is the best no. other and I don't say a, a game company, I just say the auteur, of course. Ironically though, like Metal Gear Solid is lifted up as being postmodern. <laughs> like I should really have it, played it, all that. It it is though. <laughs> I mean, it's based off everything Nate said, I think uh, Metal Gear Solid is way more referential of other materials. Where definitely, I, I'm, I'm. The more we're talking about this, I'm, I'm looking at Alan Wake as more self-referential, just, just sort of like hyper meta, like very, very yeah. meta. That's a really Although good point. The constructs of how the story is told is where like the referential pieces get into, right? Which I think is right. the interesting piece to your thing, Nate, of like. The ability for us to consume or be able to in it like interface with content in so many different varieties across so many different mediums, it's like that's where like a postmodern take comes in my mind is not necessarily that you're referencing like this great piece of work of war and peace or something of that nature, but instead it's like no, we're going to take elements of all of these other things that you just have kind of passively experienced within culture. And that's how we're going to infuse it into this world. And, and it, it, with a more direct like intentionality to the framing is going to be like the referencing piece or the actual like interface style or things of that nature might actually be how that shows up in other places that has like a much more direct uh, line of sight to other material. Yeah. Can you say your question again? Because it was a really great question. I love the conversation that came out of it, but, but I'm still like, which, I want to get at the gist of, of what the it questions? was. The one you asked to start this segment. Um, like why utilize postmodernism as a framing to tell your story? You asked one after that, didn't you? Probably. Oh, I asked a bunch oh, of well, questions. Oh, well. That's kind of yeah, my yeah, thing. Yeah. 
That is kind of your thing. <laughs> um, is is on that question? Is postmodernism usually like? I, I I don't know anything about writing a story, right? But I know about music, and if I'm mm. writing a song, I'm not going to have like. What themes am I going to explore before I? get the like it just comes out naturally like any piece of art i would think like is it possible like they didn't set out to do a postmodern no, of course not i don't think that like the remedy gathered around a whiteboard and wrote <laughs> postmodernism and waited for this game to come out of that and again that kind of lends credence but, to the claim that this isn't an artistic movement but but no i mean i do think eventually in the process that could come up like oh yeah. we're, we're we're getting into some fun. we have a really cool opportunity here to do some interesting things and then that's where that would grow to so i'm the, i'm adjusting it just to craig's question like i think it would be something that they already had themselves in a hole they had so many plot holes to get out of from the first game so like it kind of like lent itself to that approach i feel totally like. i th i think like we should be clear mm -hmm. these are movements and movements in arts as far as i know are art critics trying to describe what's already happened right it's very like modernism either isn't people saying i'm going to be a modernist it's like a grouping of trends within like you know the 50 to 100 year time period i think one of the things that is often described as postmodern is um a mixing of high and low culture. So like things that are funny, things that are silly, things that are slapstick, mixing directly along with things that are hyper serious, which I think goes back to our conversations about tone. Like this game is able to be very serious and have really great characters while also being totally flippant of its own characters, which is And really I cool. do think so, some people would go into it being like i'm gonna be very postmodern for this just like some people are like this is i'm 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 in a goth band this is gonna be goth music you know and that's where the pretension probably comes in where it's like oh i'm going to have the end of this movie isn't going to make any sense at the end of this movie it's going to cut to a news segment about some obscure alaska town that wasn't referenced in the game at all that would be pretty postmodern would also be very pretentious yeah how would that be postmodern exactly <laughs> let's put your learnings here to the test but what, what would make that postmodern well i mean I, I, it, it would be I, I don't i didn't actually write the ending i would have to do that but i mean uh -huh. it would be referential of mr scratch would do that something i mean I would I would have thought this postmodern discussion would have gotten into that Mr. Scratch segment, the Deerfest sec section, where they're oh yeah referencing the book that Mr. Scratch wrote, a bunch of um, drones pretty much referencing how great this thing was that the creator didn't like, which was a reference to the original game. I'm pretty sure. Oh, that's um, fan. Yeah. That's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that connection until right now. I mean, what I'm I just saying think is, we should I be think careful. It is possible that, that, yeah. I, th I think that's like we're talking, we have been talking about like an intersection of pretension and postmodernism. And I think that is a possibility. And I, I, I'm plotting the game that it, I don't feel like it did that. I think it, it, 
hit most of the thing, the beats it wanted to. It wrote a successful story. It is hyper referential, but still understandable and not like inconsumable. Totally. I I think we should be a little cautious because you don't want to ever tell like the like you wouldn't want I would not if a writer of Alan Wake was here I would not want to say oh you really did a postmodern thing here because like I think that's a little bit um, reductionist and it's also yeah. again it's it's not no one sets out to try to do that it's just how a, a part of the framework that helps me understand trends in media and culture. That's yeah. I don't think if Sam Lake was on our podcast and you asked him, you're like, is this what you meant to do? And probably like, no, I meant to tell an interesting story that would keep people engaged. And like the way that we had to go about doing that was through a bunch of these other mechanisms that were, uh, you know, the way that we could best illustrate those points that we wanted people to take away. Right. Yeah. I think I, that's my yeah. perception. Right. But I, someone yeah. claiming to be postmodernist is very pretentious. And people that make art are like usually trying to get across an idea, a feeling like, you know, I think the pretentiousness often comes in the criticism, trying to like make rules and things that the people were following when they were just trying to tell the story they wanted to tell. Do you think that setting the story in survival horror as a genre is something that plays into this as well, right? Like a typical genre that's, looked at or looked down upon at least in movies right like you don't see horror movies that show up on best picture list like they're usually looked at as a inferior form of the art um even if sometimes they have tremendous things to say right like it's it's hard for those types of films to make it out of the uh kind of like narrow piece of media that they've been kind of stuffed into I I don't know like I think this this game does such a good job with environmental score storytelling in the horror genre I almost feel like they arrived at that just because they were like oh like this is probably one of the best like tone of like uh how do I put this um just exploring the old folks home and walking around it and the way like the house creaks and things like that. And like nothing happens in that whole section, Gone but home. it's very tense and it's very like uh building and anxiety inducing and things like that. It's, it's such great tone and it's all through environment and sound and look and feel for a little bit. It's brought down for me a little bit with the jump scares, but we'll get to that. But I almost feel like, as they were building this game, they realized it was a horror game, um, which isn't really something Remedy did before. Like, I wouldn't call and like one a horror game. Control is an action game. They flirted with elements, but yeah, they've never Control felt. Yeah, Control's architecture felt horrifying at the yeah. very least. We're not getting into brutalism. I wanted to ask. Yeah, what, uh, <laughs> uh, I wanted to ask like how does this compare to other horror games? Polly, I typed you in this podcast description as the horror guy and you pushed back on that, but I do feel like you know more about horror. Like I, to me, part of horror in many cases is that kind of mix of like, I don't feel like a lot of horror is always horror. There's humor that comes in. There's like this balance, especially in games. I think there's like a balancing of tone 
Like sometimes it's campy, sometimes it's silly. Absolutely. Does this feel like a good like does this I think you were getting at it right there. Does this stand out above other horror games? So Alan Wake 2 as a horror game is an interesting thing because it's not exceptionally scary. However, there are parts of it that are very well done as a horror game and and done better than a lot of other uh, horror games that I've played um, without relying on jump scares, which unfortunately they did rely on the most obnoxious jump scares in this game that you could possibly have the the fear face flash um which yeah it's startling it got me and things like that but i i sort of wish like maybe twice in the game not so many times but as far as like i was saying the the overall like those woods at the uh murder section those are scary woods those are probably the scariest woods that i've played in a game but it wasn't because I was afraid of the cult members. I wasn't afraid of the monsters or the wolves or anything like that. It was just about the tone. They did an excellent job of building up your anxiety and through sound design, a huge part of it, and just through the overall look, feel of it. And also the fact that the only parts of the games I found scary were saga portions because I uh, emphasized empathized with Saga as a character. Um, the Alan Wake portions, I, I don't really care about him as a character so much. He's already been out for 13 years, and it was pretty clear from pretty much the outset of the game that he should die to me. <laughs> so I wasn't, like, drawn to, like, protecting him or, or his, like bad conceit that like oh i have to save my wife like do you have to save your wife because it's pretty clear you're torturing her and things like that <laughs> um but just looking at it through a horror lens like i feel like they've proved like they could make a great horror game i don't think this was their great horror game but i think it had elements that did a much better job than all than than a resident evil and things like that i'm surprised saying that like resident evil 2 is probably my favorite game and clearly a heavily influenced this but i feel like they learned the right lessons and they did a lot of good things with the environments um to make it exceed in those aspects on polly's priority stack for horror games like what are the most important elements for such i'm glad you asked because i while he was answering this i realized what my real question was which which was like, does a, a, a real horror game, quote unquote, have this balance of humor? Or is a real horror game like an essentially terrifying experience without levity? No, I think just because, I mean, it comes from horror movies, I think. The schlock, the, the B-movie aspect and things like that. It's just a trope now. Um, but, I mean, Friday the 13th isn't scary, but it's, it's schlocky. Um, truly scary movies games and things like that are all about tension and i think if you can get that tension without being cheap about it if you can induce horror without like just startling people and that's where the real horror comes in and i i feel like they 
in this game, they proved that they can take it there, but they didn't. I, I don't think it's that scary either. I just, they tense. went about it in like almost a fun way. It's just tense. Yeah, great. Humor can be used within horror to be able to like snap that tension, right? Like that's also one of like the main points of it, right? Is like to give you that moment to, you get to exhale and then yeah. you're back to yeah. holding your breath again. I mean, nobody enjoys like hours and hours of feeling <laughs> yeah. miserable, you know? Well, I was curious if this is part of what you've been more skeptical about in recent Resident Evils. Yes. Like, I, and I brought this up on the last Alan Wake. I think I, I actually credited the, the, the previous Alan Wake game for a little bit of that. They, they far exceeded that in this game. But Resident, like I said, Resident Evil 2, one of my favorite games of all time. And the remake, exceptional. I even like Resident Evil 3 Remake, even though it's mostly more of an action game. It's It did a great job of being a fun action schlocky thing where at the end you like pull out this comically oversized gun and shoot a monster with it. Um, the newer, e even Resident Evil 7, I adored Resident Evil 7. <coughs> Loved that game. Resident Evil Village is where I really started to get sad about the future of it because I feel like... <laughs> They went hard into the schlocky aspects of Resident Evil 7 because fans were too scared to pay, play through that game. Uh, as so I say fans loosely, uh, gamers were too scared to play through that game. So they're like, well, what if we just make it stupid? It'll is be easier to get through. Is schlock humor? Yeah. Is it self-referentiality? Is it external reference? Like, what does schlock that might be, mean? That might be harder to define than postmodernism, Nate. <laughs> it's I like have no a, idea what schlock is. Like, it's a feeling. <laughs> That's the funniest thing ever. I mean, I, I can explain, like, the reasons why I felt uh, Resident Evil Village was, was schlocky was the fact that, like, your quest oh. is to get pieces of your baby and put them together again that's, that's not the real story is it so i could see that baby. happening in alan wake though is there schlock in alan wake too um the fact that there's a comically oversized giant man for no reason like very tropey very like um Tropy unbelievable um it takes you completely out of reality and it's almost self-referential like uh uh, not self-referential, but almost like third wall breaking, like wink at the camera, um, uh, comically, like actually like Quentin Tarantino did a great job with schlock where like overuse of gore and blood and things like that. But it can be fun or it can be just cheesy. Um, Isn't and the most difference the between time, those two just like how much you're vibing with it and how much you respect the creators? Like how well it's done essentially? I wouldn't yeah, say how, how much I respect. I wouldn't respect the creators if I didn't appreciate the the work. So it, it's really it's, a, a measure of how how as a complete package it comes together. There's nothing wrong with having fun with it, but so it's like the schlock is when it goes beyond the like self. Like it doesn't sound like Alan Wake went far enough for it to be for any most of what it does to be considered schlock. Well, uh, again, I don't think it's purely a horror game. There's elements of it in there, and I think so they did them well. Schlock has to be 
schlock has to be in a purely horror context basically no not at all there's there's <laughs> non-horror movies um it's just trashy i don't know i don't know how to explain <laughs> it better than that it's like it's like uh, let's like uh if you watch bad movies with your friends and you guys laugh at them, not because like you're enjoying the movie or because they're good jokes, but just because it's so bad that it's funny. Um, like if you've ever seen a uh, Ouija shark, for example, where the Ouija board summons a, a sh- ghost shark in the woods. That sounds so awesome. Okay. Um, it's not scary though. No, it doesn't sound like it. It sounds silly. Yeah. And that's the thing, like, to me, it's gotten to the point where a lot of, like, mass market horror, like, um, I really like the Insidious movies and the first couple, um, uh, what's the other one, ones there, the really popular ones with the two exercising couple people, uh, The Conjuring, The Conjuring, (laughs) things like that, but as those movies went on and got into, like, The Nun and The Nun 2, it just got, like so like derisive of itself and like all jump scares and all like tropey garbage is like tacky so schlock is accessibility no (laughs) yes because as like horror is an inherently inaccessible medium a very small percentage of people want to be horrified so the introduction of schlock brings the silliness vibe up and that increases its appeal I feel like I'm doing a bad job of defining schlock. No, I don't think you're saying that. I'm like using my own knowledge of schlock to project that and offend everyone listening, I guess. (laughs) I think, yeah. I I, I think that horror should be taken seriously if you want it to be successful. Okay. I think they do that when they want to here. They have very fun parts of this game at good times. Like another example, I guess, um, Probably one of the most well-done ones in this game is you're being chased by the dark presence for one of the scenes where you get chased by a big cloud of dark stuff, which (laughs) not the best, not the scariest thing, not the best mechanic. It's very Crash Bandicoot or Uncharted. Um, (laughs) More Crash Bandicoot. But you, you come across Rose, and she's the schlockiest character in the game. She is the tropiest character in the game now all of a sudden. She's the only character that's still exactly the same, I think, as the original game. Like, yeah, everybody else grew and turned into people. Uh, your your wife turned into a real person. She's not even in the game. She's just in the videos. But um, Rose, like, she's there and she's, like, such, like, a trope character, but it works really well in that specific scene because it was, like, a build up to it and then you finally like Alan gets to see her and she's like yes I have no dimension it's just me go upstairs that's where you're supposed to go now like it was I feel like that was a perfect execution of it um, didn't take away from the game at all um, where I feel like Resident Evil like so many characters in that were so unbelievable and like not human at all um, it just so it gets in the way of finding the horror and really being in the horror. Yeah. It, Which somehow uh, this game, I don't immer- think... It, it, it's a very immersion-break-in for me. Yeah. And not okay. for everybody, um, clearly. Well, almost definitely. A lot of people praise those games and things like that. That's one of the reasons why I'm not 
big into Resident Evil 4. Uh, you're literally protecting the president's daughter? <laughs> yes. That's, okay, well, I that, think that's that all helps I have me to understand say about the horror, the horror in the game, though. I think I want to commend it for doing a great job environmentally, and I think they could make an awesome horror game. I don't think this is necessarily a great horror game, but it has its moments. Yeah. Awesome. Can we talk about the musical scene? Can we ever? Is God, it yes. I've been waiting the greatest moment. moment in gaming? I don't know about that. But of 2023 it is if we measure like the greatest moments in gaming by how big i'm grinning i gotta be honest this is top this is number one for me i can't think I of anything i don't laugh out loud very often, often in games but when i do it was it's at a bunch of finnish dudes doing rock I, I don't even know how to describe this scene yeah this is an incredible scene where you are like walking through uh, a almost like a house of mirrors that are actually playing the live performance. And this is where you get back into this like postmodernist take, right? Of like the, um, the crossover media, because you're watching real actors, like live action video projected into the game world as you move around as a character, but as you're they also narrate your experience too. Not yeah. narrate and your experience, backstage. And, and, to to go a whole nother level, they're narrating the original Alan Wake game, yeah. the original Alan yeah. Wake story, and while this is happening, the original <laughs> Alan Wake monsters come out at you, and you fight them with the flare gun just like you did in the first game. Like that part to me was like, oh, oh wow, they're like really going for it here. Where they're yeah. like, we're gonna make like, you play the first game for a little bit, also. <laughs> like, yeah. And you get there from the back of Mr. Doors set, right? Yeah. yeah. Like I thought I thought even that was cool. I was like like I love Mr. Door, like how he's acted. I love you being confused about being on stage and having to try it again to get it right. I love your like increasing dementia. And then you wander backstage and go to that. It's like just like wow, this is like we're firing on all cylinders here. And, the music and also the, kicks ass. It's like, so the good. song is so good. It's so much fun, and, like, also the video screens, like, the fact that, like, they're, like, into it, they're choreographed, they're dancing it out, but then also, like, when, if you get lost, they, like, point yes, from the video screen the to where you have to go. Like, <laughs> I so love great. that. It's it also, like, did you guys watch Peacemaker at all? No. Oh, man. So Peacemaker starts out the intro. It's a television show. It's a DC universe show starring John Cena. And it starts out the opening to every episode is this ridiculous dance number with like this over the top choreography. And it's very, very similar to the choreography used here where it's just like absurdist take on dancing. And it's, it's the best. It's just the best. And it was like, that was something else that like popped up in pop culture, right? And like people were like making memes of it, and it was a, a thing that kind of took on its own life outside of the show. And it was like seeing how that kind of presented, or as they pulled from that, was like how how did they get the actors to do this ridiculous choreography too for all of this? Like, and everyone's playing it serious, even though well, it's we, being played for laughs. We talked about Poets of the Fall in the, in the Alan Wake 1 podcast and how that was kind of like a, a band that's grown alongside Remedy. Yeah. At, at least as far as like 
you know, us playing, like, I don't follow them very closely, but playing these games and just having heard the music from them, like, because again, this, this is like a, because yeah. of our, our previous podcast, I was very curious, are those musicians or that Poets of the Fall that were on the screens? I believe so. Uh, that's what I wasn't sure about. I was like, I don't know because it's Alan Wake too. I don't know if they're like actors that are standing in, I, but I think it's really them. I, I would have thought that it would be them just because it didn't have the actors that are playing Odin and Tor. Yes. It had younger people uh, as they were younger in, as, in the band or whatever, but that could be explained because the dark place and 13 years ago, well, wow, they've aged poorly, but um, <laughs> it, it is a, it is them. Like it is an alter ego band from for Poets of the yeah. Fall. Is old gods of Asgard. Yeah, um, I looked it up on uh on Apple Music, and like they literally just have like the band Alan Wake. Strangely <laughs> enough, huh? <laughs> so, oh man, it's so yeah. What an incredible combination of like the the game firing to your point at all cylinders where it's only at this point in the generation i think that in the medium that you can have this level of like visual crossover also without it feeling completely disjointed like it's remarkable that it doesn't feel like this completely broken experience of what the why am i watching real what is happening it's so fucking cool when Sam Lake is used in the film parts of this versus when fucking uh, Alex, Alex Casey, Casey is used with his video game counterpart. Like, it's such a magical moment in time where those two are differentiated enough for you to, like, make plot inferences about it, but not, like, oh, you know, cringe at the difference, just like you're saying. It's it's just, it's really cool. Well, like, and, in... in- the Mr. Door show, he says, no, I'm the actor who's portraying yeah. Alex Casey in the film, which yeah. is another meta narrative because <laughs> not only is he Sam Lake, but also but Sam Lake he's, was he's oh, he's playing Alex Casey is is right. Max Payne right. at this point. <laughs> yeah. So oh wow. It's the layers. And and his like his smile as he like looks at the camera is like <laughs> it's not it's just, it's just everything. It's just so good. While we're here at the musical, what purpose does Mr. Doris serve for this game? I don't know, but he was my favorite part of the game. <laughs> he was, oh my God. I, let me say something. As far as the mixed media goes, uh, boy, Alan Wake's acting is bad, in my opinion. What what explain what layer of the story you're refer- referring to? <laughs> the the live video and voice. Just I don't know. When he shows up at like the talk show of them like showing him the the real actor version. Yeah, his 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 he's fun, don't get me wrong. I don't hate it's it. It's supposed to be bad, man. But it's so um like Mr. Door is does such a great job acting in this. It like saves so much of that. Like, I don't know if this would survive as well without him. And I mean, clearly he's like a, an actual actor and everything like that. So like <laughs> he's had many roles, but I, I, I agree with you, Nate. He was one of my favorite points in the, in the game. I, he's also, 
I don't know if I want to jump this far ahead, but he's also one of the things I was sad about that I have to, I guess I have to wait to find out about. But I mean, he's Saga's dad, right? Did you guys get that? Sorry, what now? He's Saga's dad. I mean, I heard the words you said, but yeah. <laughs> Craig's so furiously scanning his three-page document okay. for this. So I was thinking, <laughs> like, Saga's dad is mysteriously missing, and something happened to him. We don't know what happened to him, but Tor you made him go let me away. Just, let me interrupt. You were thinking about that as you were playing this game? Yeah, yeah that is remarkable. He was, he was, I'm impressed. He's, he's brought up he was thinking too far ahead in, or something like that is the reference. And then when Saga profiles him... He talks about uh, how the door family has the ability to go through these doors, and then instantly <gasps> she's able to go through the door. Mm. Okay. So not only does she have psychic powers of seer from her mom's side of the family, but she also has some kind of interdimensional powers from her dad's side of the family is what I'm thinking. But I will never know because my plot board isn't resolved for that because there's things... Everybody else, too, you guys have elements that just aren't ready yet yeah. at the end of the game so yes, i guess that's either going to come in dlc or going to come in the new game plus that's coming out but that made me really sad that was one of the biggest things i really wanted answered i was very concerned with that part of the story <laughs> i wanted to know more about mr door and i was very sad when that wasn't answered at the end yeah i mean that's that could be also so a place cool. where it's like she mentioned that he went missing like did he get somehow stuck in the dark place I think he purposely went into the dark place and he had like when he has that conversation with Alan and he's like, I we've been doing this for so long. You keep coming up with all these things. And he's like, I just you just have to stop because all he's concerned with his daughter, his whole reason for being there is to guide Alan to let his daughter because his mom could see what was going to happen in the future. Um, and I feel like he, he set himself up. He can, he's interdimensional. He can do this. So he just like made this thing. That's what I'm I, thinking is happening. I have no way of proving it. I think but... you're so smart right now. <laughs> it's such a drunk thing to interject with, but like it's, I think it's so cool that you were like thinking about that. I, I don't know. Yeah. That's, that's a, cool. That's a... I was, as soon as Mr. Door was introduced, I had to know more like, he, I thought well, I agree with you. He was one of the most exciting characters for me in this, and the fact that it's not like it's sort of fun that it's not explained, but at the same time, I feel like <laughs> if you're just gonna make me figure it out in DLC, like they could, well, there there should have been a way for me to figure more of it out in game without just making all these illusions. I I am hesitant to say that like you couldn't figure it out in game. Like I did end up with places where there was still dark things, but like those those happened because you didn't find other stuff. So no, there is... I looked it up on Reddit like nobody Oh, no had, one has Nobody it. has okay. finished those right. two threads like interesting. There is okay, no that answer. Interesting. As far um, as I can tell, like everybody on Reddit's kind of like, I've played it si four times. And, <laughs> yeah, if Reddit like, can't figure it out, then, yeah. If, you know. Is Mister Door ever portrayed as an in-game character? No. Okay, I just like I don't think I, there's ever a. He's a, a he's a pro he's profiled and he's in the the video. Yeah, FMV is what we're calling yeah, it still. Yeah, yep, yep, still FMVs. Um. Nobody's doing it quite like them. Sorry to go on such a door uh, offshoot, but no, I got I, very excited. I was happy that Nate liked him as much no, as I did. It seems like know. someone left parts of the story 
ajar. Oh, God. <laughs> and end the podcast. Um, <laughs> Forever. <laughs> but to get back to sort of, to get back to the musical seg- section, I'm very curious what y'all thought about the inter-episode music. If we're talking about music, I thought it was really, really interesting that this game didn't just take music to put in between their episodes, but they had music created that was relevant. Um, I don't know if you know anything about the creation of this, but Sam like gave uh, music musicians, Finnish musicians, <laughs> poems and visuals to guide their music from. But it was like any genre you Whoa. want, anything like that. Just make a song, but that's how we got the episode in music. That, that's yeah. fascinating. That's very that's, cool. And it was so like cool for me. Somebody who like does sit down and listen to lyrics and things like that to like finish an episode and like all the episodes always end on a part where you're like, let's think about this for a little bit. But they're like, no, we're going to help you think about this. Here's <laughs> tonal music <laughs> with lyrics in your face. <sighs> Uh, subtitled. Uh, I didn't even like all the music. Don't get me wrong, but just like it was so appropriate, and like uh, I, I really enjoyed that. I thought that was an excellent touch. Like another like multimedia layer um, where let's create. A, let's not find songs like they could have done. Like <laughs> like a Kojima and Death Stranding. In yeah. a white room or something like that in between. But they were like, no, we'll just make the music. Um, that is something that I think across the entire game, everything feels intentional. It doesn't feel like there's many moments throughout the game where it's like, oh, we, yep, we just need to kind of fill in some space. I mean, maybe you get in that with some of the um, like sort of side missions as far as finding the dolls and putting them in the right order and those unlocking a few things, but it's like everything feels like it's has its place and it, and it serves a purpose. I agree, but I don't feel smart enough to find out any of that stuff. And I often <laughs> like my lyrics blindness comes up here because I heard that there was music at the end of the chapter. Sometimes it was poets of the fall. I like that. I listened to 30 seconds and then I skipped it. Yeah. Um, I don't think any of them were poets of the fall for the inter episode music. Yeah, I don't think I so. I thought either. at least one of them was, but I yeah. think what got me to really start well, yeah, skipping the, them is I heard the, a the the song the the tour song, yeah, you're right. Never mind. Well, I thought that, was, that I, I I think what happened for me as far as best as I remember it is I thought I heard a repeat at one point and then I was like, Oh, these are just randomly chosen and mm, then I started no. skipping them from then on. But I don't think that's true. All of Alan Wake's is all repeats of, um, and some say that it loops forever, that portion of the Poe song in the game, which you, Nate, had some pointed out to me. I didn't know that it was Poe. Do you want to talk about that at all? Yeah. uh, Mark C. Danielewski wrote a book called House of Leaves in 2000. It's a seminal postmodern work where you about a guy who finds that his house is bigger on the inside than the outside. Control uh, is very a, inspired by this. Yeah, it's a very cool book. Uh, everyone should try to read it, including Will, our co-host, who's 10 pages in so far um, after a couple of years. Uh, Shame. House of Leaves contains a bunch of references to songs by Poe, who is Danielewski's sister. 
oh, it's not released music for a long time. The first time she's released music is for this game. It's one of the inner chapter songs, right? So I'm, I'm she, actually... her song is whenever you're in the dark place. All of Alan Wake's chapters, oh. it's always that song. All oh. of Saga's chapters, it has a different song that relates to the chapter, to the episode itself. But because he's stuck in the dark place, it's always the loop song because it's a loop. Or oh. I guess it's a spiral. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I wasn't nearly smart enough to get that. But I did look sense. into this after, and I, I like it was big news because Poe did her song Haunted for Alan Wake American Nightmare. Um, um, so she had a relation, and I guess Sam I Lake see. worked with her to make this song and everything like that. And it's apparently like um, reflective of her career as well because like she's had a lot of legal issues and things like that with bad management and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So like... Um, this is all, I guess the Poe community is also very excited because like this alludes to the fact that she has music ready to release and just is unable to release it. Um, so oh, it's a whole nother boy, thing, but I thought that cool was smart. another stupid meta layer. It's like, oh yeah, they're all different songs. And then I noticed the same thing as you, Nate, where it's like, oh, this is the same song. Oh, this is the same song again. And I started skipping them because yeah, I'm not going to do that, but oh. But yeah, there was a reason. It was Brilliant. because he's stuck in the loop and he can't have any other music. Makes total um, sense in retrospect. Yep. On the while we're here talking about the the end of episode music, did the episodic structure do anything for you within the game? Like, does is that meaningful, beneficial? Did it contribute in any way to how you guys interacted with it? I like that in games a lot because it makes them much more digestible. Yeah. Like, I don't really sit down and binge games a lot. I love being able to step away at an episode end. I would have agreed with that. I thought the episode, for that, the episodes were probably a little too long, so it was probably more of, like, just a narrative chapter thing. Like, they were having a little wank over there, we're making books thing. Um (laughs) But also, um, I, I I don't know because playing for the podcast makes it difficult where I might have like, oh, I'm going to stop here. But and instead I was like, no, I'll just keep going because I got I to gotta play this game. Um, so I'm not sure about that. But I do feel like that was – I wanted the episodes to be nice digestible chunks for me. But the, all the episodes seemed too long and then – a strange thing happened with the save system for me where it doesn't save right after you finish an episode. It's like you finish an episode or a chapter and then you got to do a little bit more. Yeah. The episode breaks are never like a clean stop. There's always like, yeah, dot, dot, dot. Yeah. yeah. You kind of, where it's like, it was very uncomfortable. I was like, okay, so I'm going to listen to this entire song because I'm folly. And then I'm going to play a little bit more. And then I think I can stop. It, it was, felt like the ideal experience was friend of the show David's uh, way of watching um, The Walking Dead, which is from the middle of an episode to the middle of the next episode. <laughs> <laughs> that yeah, all right, fair enough. Um, yeah, I think it's a it's an interesting construct that doesn't get up. I mean, it gets applied to some games, but it's not used too often. But I do think it is effective to like book and story elements too, as far as like, here's kind of this narrative chunk, especially when you have the option to switch between characters 
it yeah. kind of like offers you a more discreet place to to like guide your choices of like hey here's kind of the moment where if you want to swap and see the other story like this is a nice moment to know that you've kind of completed a segment when you come back you're not going to be completely lost on like what what am i doing on that note can we talk about that swapping characters yeah for yeah let's because um, i didn't think about this at all and the game kind of did it for me well mm. that that will happen also i don't think it changes anything also no. i just kept wanting to play a saga but I was like, I felt kind of bad. I was like, well, I guess I should play as L. And I like <laughs> begrudgingly used the bucket. Which is pretty great. The janitor bucket from Audi hanging out in the break rooms. Boy, was this game finish. Yeah, it was. Oh, man. I I loved so much. I'm sorry to, to have a slight it's digression a, here. But yes, them having saunas and the sauna uh-huh. culture throughout and them continuing to say sauna around when my partner <laughs> came into the room and she like is like no it's sauna and i'm like this is the correct way was like the greatest vindication of my life that i've had in have you become year. pretentious about sauna pronunciation ever since finland absolutely we went to finland and i was like no this is the correct one i've watched youtube videos about how the word came about <laughs> why it's pronounced this way why that is the correct appropriate pronunciation that everyone should be using it's just like i'm like this is the way well let me just nitpick you there if you're gonna go full full finish pronunciation doesn't it need to be like sauna (laughs) like (laughs) it has to go on like way too long yeah that is absolutely true um sorry for the for the digression uh polly but Yes, so the episode, like, or the character swapping, um, does it ever get you to a point where you're, like, forced to swap back? I got, like, recommendations of it being, like, hey, remember, you can go swap characters, and I'm like, no, I'm good. I would like to keep going with these episodes. If you finish any characters, then it swaps to the other character. No, that's not true. No, that's not true. You can, I did multiple. I did a bunch of sagas in a row. like, three in a row. If you finish any characters complete, you could play oh, yes. through all of the yes. characters. You could go all the way with Saga until she summons Al. She summons Alan, um, which kind of feels like the narrative then, intent. And then, like that's what happened to me because I ended up going a little bit ahead with Saga, and she was like, "We did everything right. Where is he?" And then it just sucked me into the lake, and I played as Alan. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, originally I was going back and forth between the two just cause I was like, I guess I should try to keep this even, but I just don't feel like it really, I almost wish they didn't have the option and just kind of did it. So it was like more narratively approachable yeah. because like yeah. one of the things that bothered me was like, they did these over overlay things that Nate was talking about. The visual overlays, like you're walking down a hallway, but you'd see the coffee amusement park, which so is damn cool. three words I'd never thought I would say together. Um, <laughs> But I was yeah, like, I, have a thought I don't on that. feel like these relate to each other at all. Other than the fact that this is when I'm supposed to have a conversation with Saga. And mm-hmm. once that is described why you have conversations with Saga. And like the whole like ritual stuff is just scratch leading you on. Um, I I don't feel like any of that really paid off. Like I, 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 I wish that they could have done more with that. That was one of the 
things that I just didn't feel. I, it was it almost just felt like a visual trick because it was fun and it looked cool. Don't get me wrong, um, but there wasn't much substance to it. So I don't know if like changing characters really did anything for me. What, I'm sorry. Are you like implying that the screen overlay flickers are the other characters' current perspective? Oh yeah, like definitely. I, I remember specifically. There's one hallway where you're walking down, and you see the Ferris wheel and things like that. Like it was pretty clear because there was some correlation between what was happening in the different places. Yeah, like the cops were the same, and you just wrinkled my brain. And the like the um the people that had the necklace, the lady that was writing the thing about Alan Wake that mm-hmm. originally saw the murder. Oh, like yeah. they were interviewed by Alex Casey in the dark place and things like that. Like there was some correlation, but it never really aligned for me. And I guess like they I feel like they wrote their way to make it align but it didn't actually align kind of um so it brings me back to your plot synopsis um was scratch the cult leader i believe so what even was the cult like at the the last scene i remember for the cult was him wearing the deer mask and he acts like all right so if alex casey is a fiction is a fictional character that you created like what does that make you if you're taking the role of the detective? He never takes off the deer mask. He, you know, I almost felt like it was a Thomas Zane thing. I don't, I don't know. I didn't just never felt like it was really described. God, I wish I could remember. I thought there was something that was like that. Yes. The Thomas Zane had overlapped, but there was something about also the, um, <laughs> like Thomas Zane making movies and, the book that was written for Alex Casey to be investigating the murders and the murders being related to, um, to summon Alan Wake, but it was actually scratch orchestrating the murders to summon Alan Wake to like pull him in. Right. So it's like him trying to pull himself back was, was my kind of brief understanding of it. Yeah. I just didn't know if like I ever really understood that. Um, it was almost like there was a cult because there was a cult of the tree. Right. And it's they, like, hey, we need to mirror these in the dark place and in the exactly. other place. Yeah. Um, I thought yeah. more so it was interesting to watch. <laughs> it it gets back into all the postmodernist shit that we're talking about, right? Like that episode <laughs> structure is very like HBO premiere television, like the uh, mirroring and like being able to create the murder scenes are like a way to stage to show off these like dope ways to rewrite and rebuild the architecture of the world in real time, which is like very cool, but like it's a very interesting puzzle solving mechanic, but also is utilized essentially to, um, to try and drive some form of the narrative forward. But it's like, you know, it's cool. It's cool. It's cool. And that was kind of my takeaway. I'm like, all right, it's cool. Yep. Yeah. This is fucking cool. I'm glad that you put this in. Like, we're talking about all the different components here that, like, contribute to our experience. But the thing that we haven't talked about is, like, the underlying technology. And I don't know if we need to go deep into that. But, like, the visual fidelity of this game is fucking phenomenal. Like, I literally had to stop. And I think I sent you a message when I started the game where I was like, 
in the opening segments, I had to stop and be like, am I watching an FMV or is this like real engine data? Like what is happening here? Like the inside the car and like the initial fluttering of the leaves with the trees. I'm like, this is spectacular, especially for a multi-party game. But like, it it's truly impressive. And I, I do want to commend it and especially kind of call that out. And I know Polly has some other additional pieces here to, to kind of cover off on, but I'm like, how that contributes to all of the other pieces that we've talked about is like, it's a foundational element that the pillars of the narrative have to stand on top of that. The FMB integration and other pieces, I don't think would work as well without that level of fidelity. I have yep. sassy thoughts on this. What do you got, Bali? <laughs> I mean, I, I agree with Craig. I like was so impressed by this. I originally got it on PS five um originally being the keyword there and i was uh, planning on playing this through with my partner and um she was into it but i just don't think that that would have taken a much longer time and i we are going to play through it together because she really likes horror games and this is up her alley Mm -hmm. as well but um once I started see like once I saw the intro of this game, I was like, "Oh wow, they're doing they're they're go they're doing things here." I was like, "I really want to get this on PC," so I ended up getting it on Epic, and I must have replayed from the opening man butt scene through to <laughs> um, investigating the murder probably around eighteen times, wow. just messing with different settings like. Because the game is visually striking, but once you get into like the PC settings, and I was messing around with, I have a um, Radeon sixty nine fifty XT, and like not the best ray tracing card. It's no Nvidia RT card, RT cores, or anything like that. But it could do some ray tracing, and like seeing the difference between the exceptional in game. Um, like light tracing and shadow tracing and thing like like the way they make it work without ray tracing is is great and then seeing how that changes when you turn on ray tracing like yes it did slow down my computer to 20 to 30 frames <laughs> per second when i turned it up to max and depending on the scene some I, I i went back and forth some scenes i could absolutely do no problem but like anything with foliage when you're talking about sunlight coming through so many leaves and like actually having an effect on the shadows and things like that is something I've never seen in games before. I thought it was remarkable. And then when you add in like how this game does like HDR, I've never seen a game before where you turn, you, you say, I want to use HDR and it just controls my monitor. It's like, Oh, I'll just turn HDR on your monitor. I've never seen a game that did that before. And I was like, like reloading. Yeah, like having a, oh, I want to run HDR. I'm gonna turn off the game. I'm gonna turn on HDR. I'm gonna like all the all these different things because I don't always run HDR because Windows is stupid. But <laughs> um, on top of that, like the exceptional um, most of the time in this game, I ran it at 1080p but used FSR two to upres it to 4K because I have a 4K monitor as well, and like holy fuck it, it's the best implementation of that i've ever seen in a game where it's like i i don't know like 
it's not just how the game looks. It's not like, oh, this is visually... Because I'm kind of like... I don't think we're quite there to, like, this is live action and things like There were some bugs. Right. There was some voice syncing that wasn't quite on, like, the, the mouth lip yep. syncing wasn't great and everything like that. But just, like, looking at the details in a scene and how that changed, like, a lot of things with shadows in the Alan Wake stuff, like, how the shadows kind of, like, it looks like two people sometimes, but it morphs into one people. That's all, like, in-engine, like... I can't imagine the work that went into this. It was just like amazing to me. It was exciting. I had so much fun. I, like I'm gonna stop gushing, but it's so much fun just fucking around, seeing what my PC could do with this because it can't handle it. And I don't know anybody whose PC can run this as well as like Digital Foundry will show it. Like this is like you can make full mirror, um, like in the Mr. Door segment, you know, the mirrors with the lights around them. Not only does the mirror work, but it's also like bouncing all of those individual lights off the mirror and things like that. And you can see that attention to detail. Does it matter? No. But five years, 10 years down the road, like that's where it's going to be the big difference of like, this is a visually like realistic game where you you shining a flashlight actually has an effect with distance and things like that. Um, the sun has an effect on distance and things like that. Seeing varnish on doors or not just a bump map, map texture, but actual texture on things. I think that stuff is super exciting to me. So as a fucking geek, it's just, uh, that's my, that's my uh, soapbox. Well, now I want to hear Nate's sassy take to, to counterbalance that. Uh... Uh-oh. I, uh, oof. Like, I, I just couldn't care less how the environments in this game looked, and I didn't even think they looked that interesting. Like, let me come back from that a little bit. The New York City stuff, pretty cool. I really like how characters look. Like, to yeah. me, the technology comes alive when it's animating character faces. You know, I think this has come up with tons of games. It's almost a trope, but, like, people are... I feel like for the last three years I've heard like there was this one part where my main character didn't even have to say I don't believe you because her eyebrow went up and I could see it. Like we're at that point and that's really cool. I think it does great things for characters. Yeah. But like the beginning of the game, well, I was excited there was a dick. I looked at that a lot. That was cool. Like, okay, <laughs> that's neat. It's definitely a European game. And I think that they excelled at it. I, I wonder how much of this is that I'm playing at 1440p, and I wonder if a lot of these upscaling technologies are really built around 4K, mm. uh, like for TVs and monitors both. Um, because for me, I see a lot of the artifacts of the upscaling pretty clearly, um, kind of no matter what setting I use. So what settings I, did you mess around with? I'm kind of curious about that. I didn't mess around with a lot. I kind of... Um, set it so I was getting around 60 frames and kind of like tried to turn up as much as I could and kind of left it at that. I, I think part of the beef for me is like it opens in these woods and I was being told it was the Pacific Northwest, but it doesn't look like the Pacific Northwest at all. No, <laughs> I kind of was like, I, I don't really care what the tech is. Like it's not checking out with my narrative understanding of what this game is. So yeah, that's like, interesting. We, we I, I think for me personally, 
Yeah. I, I think for me personally, like art direction is always going to carry and going for realism. Like this game looks great, but we're not realism yet. Yeah. So yeah, like I kind of wish we could come back to this in 10 years when we're there. I don't think it is realistic, but it's more realistic, but it's more just the excitement about what is, if you like take the, uh, take a second to look down at the ground and you notice like that bush actually has light and shadows. Why wouldn't I go outside? <laughs> I, I Like, I don't know. Like, I really don't want to shit on you guys being excited, but like I, we're in this weird period where like looking at the ground makes me want to literally buy a plane ticket to the Northwest and go on a hike. Like, yeah, I, I, I think, don't want to stare at that in the game. I think that's fair, but I, I do think the, um, and I, I yeah, I think I'm a, coming in with bitterness because the reviews talked about the visuals so much. It's like, I, I think the even if we get away from the the like hyper technical specs of like global illumination and ray tracing and like path tracing and all these other pieces that that they're doing in a really a, a quite profound way compared to other games, which is a really like just an interesting statement cool. piece within the medium. I think the thing that leans into it for me the most is that um, because of the multimedia function of the game if the visuals weren't where they are at, I think everything like we, else would have, would kind of like fall down like a house of cards in some ways. Like we talked about before that, that yeah. narrow gulf between FMV and game is key yeah, it, to that kind of work. And somehow they credit to them. And I do want to talk a little bit about the art direction and to your point, like the human characters of finding the balance. And I have no idea how, how hard it must've been for them to find the balance of, like these characters are characters and not like it didn't feel like they were trying to to be real humans like it felt like there was still a little bit of like artistic flourish applied to the characters so it wasn't like oh they're they're just trying to make a real person right like they they still existed properly within the game world yeah, like a counterexample would be like L.A. Noir, right? Where it's almost like yeah. they're just like pasting real images of people on exactly. the moving model. Yeah, yeah. Um, just and, before, before, because I sense us moving on a, a bit. I have uh, one other thing about our direction. Well, before we get too much into our direction, just on yeah. a technical aspect and yeah. on Nate's point, like um, to go back to the woods, like for me, it's more of an immersion thing because, like so many games it's like you have a clear path this is the path that you're supposed to follow and this is one of the games where i call like it wasn't so clear that this was the path because the foliage and the way lighting worked um added to that where it was like oh i'm in these these woods like and it could be a lot of me replaying things because like i realized like in that intro section it seems like oh you can only go this way and do this but there's multiple paths. You can escape the cult for a while. Like you can explore the woods as they're chasing you around and shooting you and things like that as Nightingale. Um, but it's so, it's, I don't know. It's, it's strictly an immersion thing for me. And it's like very exciting for me. Cause I could see like, I want other games to learn lessons from this. I want to increase that. The only other game that has done this for me really is like um, Half-Life Alex, where it's like mm. that 
intense attention to detail really increases the immersion in VR. It's a little bit different for sure. sure. But this is the first time in a non VR game where I was like, oh, wow, they're like going for it. And it was super exciting to me. But art direction, I'm also very excited about. So I want to talk about that. And I think that's where characters get a lot more involved and things like that. The, yeah. The, the last thing I want in a game is to be more confused about where to go. So I just like, oh, that's kind of, funny. I think, I think I fundamentally disagree with that. Although you're right. It is certainly more immersive and realistic. For yeah, certain it, parts, though, isn't that important? Like, shouldn't there be parts of a game where you don't know where to go? No. <laughs> it's like reading a book and not knowing what the next page is. You know, like, yeah. That's what there are certainly is. There are certainly, like, genres so and stuff where that makes sense, but I yeah. don't play those <laughs> genres. Like, yeah. it, Think of it this yeah, way, I, Nate. It's like if House of Leaves was game. just a, a straightforward book from beginning to end. And there was no little uh, side notes or anything like that. But 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 House of Leaves is authored in the the yeah. like you know the tangents it takes you on. Yeah. Whereas me being that... lost in the woods and being able to go in seventeen directions, but only one of them or two of them are really right. That's not really an authored experience. But this is my narrative predilection, right? Like I'm playing games for a story. Like yeah being lost gets in help, the way of my story. Yeah, help me find the story. I, yeah, yeah. I, I, last piece, I swear. Uh, <laughs> Polly's description of like the woods, this was one of the few games that someone that like, likes to hike, right? I was like, oh, it actually looks like trails through the woods. Like it doesn't seem like there's like a footpath. It's like, oh no, there's like, there is other small trails that are off. And because of the density um, it was like, it, it did seem and feel like a more well-worn world. Um, Definitely. But heading into, even in the woods, like the art direction and some of the uh, flourishes that they apply specifically with lighting and um, some of those overlays that they do do within the world, I think are like phenomenal. It's just, I remember, I think early on in um, in playing and I was just like writing in my notes. Um, it, I was just like, don't know where I put it in my notes. Excellent. Please <laughs> cut that out. Uh, <laughs> but um, thanks, Paul. There is a, like the scene shifting elements, the light transfer system, like all of the different like components that were existing within the world and even within the forest specifically. I was just like, wow this game has like a very specific direction that is like very intentional that looks fucking spectacular um, and helps to like truly tell the story through the world and some of the other ways that we talked about. But I'm like, you don't get there without like a very clear, like defined artistic direction that you want to go and that you want to continue to like build upon. Help me understand that, because to me, the woods could have been, and this sort of direction in gaming could be really well um, accomplished by Epic selling you one of those cameras you put out in the middle of the woods and it captures right. all the models and textures. So, 
I think, is it the like the overlays and the way like one world transitions into another? Is that yeah? The... So I was like, okay. I think it was the initial entrance when you transfer into the dark place, and like yeah. you're like walking through the tree, and there's like these overlays going on. Yeah. The lighting is changing. Like it's like you have these red lights going on. There's just like all these different um, elements that are being layered on top of it. You're like, wow! Like this like yes. has a vision um, to how it wants to showcase the world and how it wants to showcase like your interactions through it and that was the piece where i was like this and then the environmental storytelling further on in like new york the graffiti like all of the different components that exist within the world and then that they do overlay are just so fucking well executed again it goes back in a little bit of fidelity where you have like you can read all the graffiti you can read all the notes because like well that's they're... the thing it's it's a marriage of all these different systems it's so yeah. exciting to me and like the subway the the scene where you go through the burnt out subway car like yeah. graphical fidelity is there but also like the oppression of all the fucking screams and everything coming at you and the lighting comes in and like it gets this fucking mood in you that's like yeah not achieves in a lot of other games and like it's it's partially technical it's also partially artistic like it's a it's a it's a marriage of those things that like comes together so well in so many times but but not always like some of it does seem kind of like i brought up before some of the overlays seem kind of hacked on and i kind of got tired of the um the you look at the two balls and they make the overlay of alex casey talking like at some point, I was kind of like tired of that. Well, and I should walk back some of what I said, because when you're talking about staring at the foliage on the ground, I'm like, I don't care about the graphics in this game. But when you're talking about like the way the fit, like well, the mixed media comes in and interplays yeah. with the fidelity that I'm totally back with you. Like, yeah, it's really interesting. I Part of me wants to be sassy and say like the mixed media could have also been used in a game with the aesthetic of like Chance of Sonar. It would just be very different. Sure. So it's really more about the art team that's like coordinating, like yeah. just the idea of like how to coordinate where those overlays take place on the screen. Like the QA in that is just crazy. The technical part of it is just so interesting. I find it funny that like the things that are read out in your face, like the the musical segment and whatnot, is like so cool to you. But like anything with nuance is like kind of like, well, well, I'm an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> I I mean really, I'm like really not good at subtext. Like I don't <laughs> like. Um, oh my god, those overlays were related to something. What? I just thought they were cool. The one other kind of component here as we're in this kind of space and just to kind of wrap this up is you guys started to have a brief overlap with the setting and you have an interesting perspective, both of you guys, because you've lived in the Pacific Northwest and on the East Coast, um, <laughs> which like yeah. direct overlap with where the game is. I'm curious, you mentioned like that doesn't feel like the Pacific Northwest and I've traveled there obviously a bunch of times, but there's like... Yeah, did the game feel like it achieved its place, or was it like, yep, Absolutely these are finished people? Not. Yeah. <laughs> well, it wasn't the, the, like maybe it was finished people. I don't know. Like it didn't feel like the Pacific Northwest. It just meant like there are people like, that don't live there. But it yeah, wasn't yeah, yeah. even like just the the look of the place. 
Um, it was also the characters, like the characters within it is like they have like the the deputies and everything like that. Like, what is this like Opian and Anthony thing we have going on here? Um, <laughs> I just didn't understand. Like, none of the characters felt Pacific Northwest. They didn't even try to have New York characters at all. It was just shadows, which I guess close enough. But um, yeah. It was I, almost I wish... just like these could have been any place at all. Yeah, um, it was Americana it... with yeah. a few photographs of the North. Like the town at moments, I could see the Northwest inspiration, but it, but no towns like that are actually existing in the Northwest. Like Watery? I don't even <laughs> know where Watery would exist, like other than either. Finland. Maybe. There's too many mountains, but yeah, maybe. It's small. It's backwoods town with a cool coffee amusement park it almost felt like uh even the coffee thing like the northwesterners almost felt like middle america or something like that i don't know like it was just so strange it was more minnesota finished than yeah yeah i i I, this isn't to criticize it like they're from another continent like yeah they don't what it really made me think about and what i'd really hoped for was to watch more of um Oh fuck! Um, David Lynch TV show. Oh, Fire Walk uh, with Me is the Twin Peaks. Twin Peaks. Like, yeah. Like are they Twilight just riffing Zone. off Twin Peaks more than actual Northwest? Because I should probably watch oh, Twin Peaks. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, if you like see a single fan, it's like, oh yeah, this, they built the forest from Twin Peaks actually. And yeah. I'm sure you know they're smart enough that they probably went to the Northwest to cast, but chose oh, sure. to, like like this isn't a technical ability thing. This yeah. is like a choice. I just haven't seen that media, but but that was kind of my thought going through it. Have yeah. you seen it, Polly? Are you it, a Twin no, Peaks? No, I'm not a Twin Peaks guy. It 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 was a lot of characters for me though. Like the characters, I appreciate a lot of the characters in the game, but none of them felt Pacific Northwest, Washington at all. Uh, well, they're like straight up Finnish, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, and they well, even Washington that doesn't Finnish. have. Yeah, it, it's like Minnesota and the and like Iowa have pockets of Finnishness well, I mean, like, like that, right? Not, Sher- not the Northwest. Sheriff Breaker and the deputies, I guess, uh, Rose, like the people that are supposed to be the local town. Like, I don't know what's going on with the radio host. Like, I listened to a couple of the radio things and I was like, I don't even know what they're going for here. Like, other than like a confused person like did you guys listen to a lot of like the videos and watch like the or listen to a lot of the radio and watch the videos and things like that i watched all the coffee ads yeah i definitely watched the coffee commercials i was like oh. uh the brothers are the Cusco uh, brothers are exceptional full on, late, full on late night adult swim content here yeah since since the first um tour Cusco brothers tours video like how great was that like I hope that you all watch that. Like when I don't think doing... I did. So that's, oh my that's, god, that's they're not a coffee tour... ad. They're doing their tourism ad, and they're like, "Oh like, yes, yes, They yes. say it's unsafe to walk in the woods, but and then they just like, oh, yeah, throw yeah, yeah. middle fingers, and they're like, <laughs> "Yes, I fuck that." And they're just like going off, and then like the thing so that, that comes to mind schlocky? immediately is how that by the end of the game, one of the brothers is dead. And like yeah. he's doing a book review and he's in his fucking deer mask on the video. And he's like, 
talking nicely about the book and then he asks his brother and it's just a shadow that's staring there and doesn't say anything it's like oh my god i wish i would have seen that that yeah that is truly disheartening so much so much of the multimedia stuff in this like i i I could even though i was trying to get through the game quickly like i was a bit in the rush for the podcast i still like couldn't stop myself from every manuscript i picked up i had to listen to every video most i gave up on the radio shows eventually because they were kind of boring but like all that stuff i was like super into even like the the book stuff, the manuscript stuff wasn't great, but it was much better than the first game. <laughs> like they did a much better job of him being a Stephen King writer. Were of, you reading all of those as you went along? Well, you know how you pick them up and it, some of them give you like a short version? Yeah. Yes. And then I would always click in and get then get the full version. Would you read of, them or well, listen to him wow. narrate them? Because every listen, single one of them I didn't you know I could read them i just would listen to him narrate them press square and it would pop up well Uh, on a ps5 but yeah i was playing with a controller um so i could have pressed a button but um no i just listened to him narrate them but i thought that was better and i was always i was just always interested in it because i felt like it added something like i was kind of sad that they shortened it i wish they just did it and I wish they yeah. did more than just like show the owl on the wall with some weird graphical glitches. Yeah. Um, but all like all that stuff I found interesting. Like, and that's not something I always do in games either. Like, I don't always read the audio logs and things like or what diary entries and things like that. It's but hard to make that engaging. The only thing I didn't do, and I want to, is watch the whole movie because there's that whole movie in there. Um, the oh, darkest, I only watched the first few minutes. Yeah, the, the darkest in night the theater, or night, nightless night. That that was tough because it's placed in a part where I'm feeling like the momentum of the story. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I so I was like, I he literally says like, oh, I have another chance to go see my wife. Wait, there's a movie on in the theater, <laughs> but I can't sit down in the theater. I can only stand in the theater. And there's voices like there might be shadows that are gonna hurt me. Yeah, yep. like that was uncomfortable. Um, and I wasn't sure, like most of the time you get a pop-up like, oh, you can watch this later. And it didn't come. And I was like, uh, do I have to stand here <laughs> and watch this dumb fucking, cause it was clearly like not meant to be like high quality or like, yeah, like the locky. cultist said it was, um, Nightless I, do night. wa- I, I do kind of want to watch that. Cause I did hear a reference, like the original, it's not a loop. It's a spiral. Comes from an Alex Casey quote in that movie. I would watch that with oh, you in man. VR sometime. That's okay. fine. Someone surely has ripped it, right? Probably. For sure. I, I have one uh, perhaps final question uh, about this game, which is like, did the detective mechanics like were you into that, or did that feel like a cool thing at first that didn't really add up to much for you by the end of the game? I don't know if it ever felt cool. <laughs> All right, this this might be this might be my shit because this is my shit. I was like I was into it in the beginning, um, but I also like my background. Like this stuff is very interesting to me. Um, the investigative part of like criminology and series like Mind Hunter and other 
uh, like true detective and like these things of like collecting data and then being able to put them in place and less so of like, oh, I just have a bunch of stuff and like I need to kind of do that. Like I thought it was an interesting way um, not only to like visualize your progression through any of the different like cases that you're interacting with, but it was just like a cool way to kind of showcase and add a little bit of like the internal characters, like flavor text to like what they thought of that. I wish, and I don't know, I don't like critiquing without like trying to present some sort of solution. Like I wish there was some more direct interaction with it besides it being a repository for data. And like I, there could have been something that was like more directive towards like how, are you going to close out the case? I have no idea yeah. how those things would overlap, but as it was used, I was like, it was light touch enough that it never felt cumbersome. Um, and it did help to kind of like prove out the scale of the different cases and help like separate out like the different activities that you're doing. So I thought that was kind of like a neat way to visualize information gathering. I agree with you completely on that. But it's still like it never quite came together. Like I wanted it to, but it was like always like I already figured this out, and now I just have to put it on the case board yeah, in the right you're spot. Just like trying to map where the photo goes, hopefully, and just picking. Yeah, the thing and like that another yeah, that thing that bothered me is constantly have to switch between cases. It's mm. like oh, like I found another doll. I got to put this on the doll case and things like that. And that became even more frustrating when like it keeps showing me the things I already know I have and I can't use yet, but yep. it's not my fault because I found the stuff I was supposed to find, but it, it's not possible to solve these parts of the case yet. That was even more frustrating to me. And like towards the end of the game, like the, the one place I thought it would have been very interesting was in when Saga's stuck in the dark place and she has to figure out her and her demons and things like that. But I felt like that was repetitive of what's already been happening. Like the fact that there was a different voice talking back to you with your outcomes of these issues. But it was just like, but this is, th this was already me saying like, you're a bad detective. Like I was already <laughs> saying that to her because that was, yeah. It was always so clear. Um, it was too light touch, I guess, is my only problem with it. Like, I I just want, like, I think it's a, it would have been a good thing. I just didn't like the way it was technically carried out. I wish there was a little bit more puzzle solving to it. Like, even, like, in that room is, like, just, oh, just look around the room with the flashlight and find all the stuff and then put it on the board. Um, I do, I wanted it to be more. That's the reason why it let me down. So, um, yeah. all right. Yeah, I, I, I totally, you know, those moments where someone, one of the other hosts says the exact same thing you're thinking, like wanting a little more interactivity from it is totally how I felt about it. It's so cool. Like in theory, it is interesting that the only like real puzzle of it is like dragging the things into the right area, which is just not, yeah. not satisfying. I, I like the idea that you can like, if you miss story beats, like that kind of case puzzling can help you help idiots like me connect subtext. Like there, there's a lot of really interesting things there. Um, But I was curious if, is Saga the character who pulls out the drawer and has all the upgrades on the note cards? No, that's that Alan. Yeah, those are his like words of power. 
I wasn't able to like get more than one for any category. There was arrows. Yeah. What Yellow the... arrows throughout the world that pointed you in the direction to go find where the words were. No, I yeah. saw that and I, the spirals. Yeah. yeah. So I, I found quite a few of those, but it like I and I chose some upgrades, but I was only able to get like the first one in each category. Is that just because they were more expensive beyond that? No, no you just had to find more. One. You just had to find more. They were just there was a lot of them in the world. Okie dokie. Sometimes they were, sometimes I don't think they showed up into like the first time you looked at it. I think you had to follow the arrows to get back to it. Cause I swear sometimes I was like, I already looked at that. I'm not going to do it again. And then I looked at it again. I was like, oh, it's there. Okay. Interesting. I think, um, God, what's, what's it called when something shows up in world? Diegetic? Yeah, diegetic. Like, I do appreciate that if you're going to showcase a bunch of information like about the cases and about all of the lore that you've uncovered throughout the world, the fact that it is diegetic like within her mind palace, I think is a cool way to show that, right? You could have just had all of that Absolutely. stuff in a menu of like, yep. here's the case information you followed, right? Similar to how the manuscripts and the, the things pop up in Alan's world. It's like you absolutely could have just had a menu system of here's the tabs of the cases and here's all of the, like a list a list of all of the photos you've collected so i think yeah at least putting upgrades. it in there is yeah. is useful i totally agree yeah um but also like slightly annoying with the charm bracelet upgrades and the um collect the fragments of manuscript to upgrade your gun stuff yeah i did not find a ton of those of, i mean i found a bunch of lunch boxes but it felt I, like those upgrades were quite expensive yeah quite expensive and quite pointless like i didn't find any interest like i was like i want to get i want to get the upgrades but i don't need them well they might all. have been the made the boss fights less miserable i was oh. i was playing on easy where were the enemies on normal like the bosses just like incredible unyielding bullet sponges no there no Yes. I was on easy Great. as well. Okay. Cool. Um I'm curious. I thought the boss fights were interesting. Um they were interesting. It just felt like it was like tons of bullets without like even being sure that I was doing the right thing. I feel that's the thing though. I feel like it wasn't always a bullet. Most of the boss fights weren't just bullet things except for the first one. I mean, I guess most of the other bosses were running away from the the dark presence or is that only alan i guess it's only alan like only the alan. hardest boss boss fight was cynthia weaver for me probably i'm thinking of and that's because i didn't she was find, the water one right yeah well she was the one where um yeah she was in the water like you couldn't yeah, stand in the water or whatever but like i didn't find the rifle until after oh. i killed her so i was just stuck shooting her with the Pistol a lot. Yeah. I love that. Um I was thinking of the who are the 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 when they come out of the well, just the first boss fight. See, I really oh, I really yeah, like yeah. that that boss fight because I use grenades on them a lot. Oh that makes sense. Yeah. Because they came out of the well every time, so it's like bam. Yes, I did that second time and that was really good. So let's wrap up. I'm gonna go first. Um I'm thrilled the podcast has reached its natural conclusion. I've talked about postmodernism in media. I feel like 
whatever else happens on our podcast from here on out's a bonus. Welcome to season four. Um, I think this game is really fun. I had a great time playing it. I binged this game quicker than any game I can remember for the podcast. So that's definitely something really cool. I mean, you telling me that this was like your naughty dog moment. I was like, what is happening? It's <laughs> binging a game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a triple A exclusive or a triple A game, and Nate is binging it. I'm like, we've come so far from me not bothering to finish or even play some of our games that in season one, to like me being like, how the fuck have my co-hosts not just fucking lost all self control and binge this and abandoned all life responsibilities? So that right there immediately gets it at least an eight. It's a it's an awesome fun game that's really cool. It's it's very cool to see Remedy, like. I wasn't even there for Max Payne and it's like I haven't even played half of these games and it still feels like we've been on a journey with this studio and there are moments in this game where it was like yes this is like uh this is the thing the studio has been going for for so long through so many different games and so many different forms especially Quantum Break which I really this really left me wanting to go revisit that and kind of see how that uh, foreshadows this um I think this is a really exciting game. It's a really artful game for so many people to like be excited about it. Uh, in a way, it's like really cool and how like it, it is pretentious, but it's also very accessible. It's fun, like it's humorous, it's horrifying. It's it's kind of got a lot of things going for it in a way that's really cool. Uh it's a, indeed a graphical powerhouse. Uh I I kind of think the story is a little bit uh hooey <laughs> it's funny would say like especially in kind of how it came to an end although part of that's probably on me for leaving all of alan's stuff to the end um i think that's probably a big part of it um so so at the end like particularly up till the middle i was like this is one of the most fun games i've played in god knows how long and i and i love it and by the end i was kind of a little bit sort of fatigued by the like I don't want to say postmodernishness of it, but the like, it kind of hand waved its own ending, which sort of made me feel like, mm. but I still came away having a ton of respect for it. A ton of fun. I think this was an awesome game to cover. I'm thrilled. We're talking about it. Sheesh. Nine out of 10. Hard for me to figure out how I feel about this game. <laughs> I'm so There's happy. So I'm not many the only things. One. There's so many things I like about it. It's weird that you say, like, I can't believe, like, you don't, you didn't binge this game because this is a game I really wanted to savor. Hmm. Um, I wanted to, like, take my time with it and read the little things and stand in the theater and watch the dumb movie. Um, the, strangely enough, the plot to this game was much more interesting to me than playing this game, um, <laughs> where I thought... Dead Space 2, they threw all this shit in as hooey. I thought this game, there was a lot of thought that went into these decisions to make all their bullshit work. <laughs> like, there was a reason for their bullshit where I felt like Dead Space, not to spoil that episode if you haven't heard it, I felt like it was, they were just throwing in bullshit. <laughs> hooey. But hooey. this game, like, as playing this game i already talked about the mechanics of the puzzles and how that didn't really light up and the combat of this game felt good it was very much resident evil 2 but resident evil 2 did the combat a little bit better 
as well, although the enemies were a bit more interesting in this, and the boss battles were quite interesting. It's just, it's hard. I feel like the more I think about this game, the more I like it. But while I was playing it, as I got further into it, I was sort of like, okay, like, I, unlike Nate, jump back and forth between L and Saga. I loved playing the Saga Saga parts, and I was kind of like, okay, with the L and parts. And it's like, I'm not huge on this character. I don't really care what happens to him, and he's just an idiot because, like, you should know it's you. You're the problem. <laughs> um, but I feel like that's kind of what they're going for, too, so it's just tough. Um, there's something about the the arc of this game the 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 structure the it just doesn't it doesn't flow that great despite how much how awesome so many parts of it are um i kept wanting to play it but i wasn't like something that kept coming to my head like everybody talked about how much fun this game was to play and i was like is it <laughs> like I wanted to, I wanted to play it, but I wasn't necessarily, it wasn't necessarily like fun. And I'm not like, I'm not trying to criticize remedy or anything. I think it's a great achievement that they did. I just don't, I think the internal battle I'm having here is I want to say this game is great. I want to give it a five out of five or a 10 out of 10, but I don't feel like it's quite earned it. And the biggest problem for me is the ending. Uh, I like the end a lot, but you guys didn't give me everything that you should have. Like, I wanted to know what happened with Mr. Door. Now I have to wait for that. And we're probably not going to talk about it on the podcast. You missed your chance there. <laughs> um, and like the whole, like write the ending to the story. Like it was just, it was, it was, it reminded me of um how they figured out how to beat the aliens in independence. <laughs> <laughs> It was just like, let's just uh, let's just end it. It was yeah. sort of that. Um, so normally that would have bothered me so much more if the game wasn't so much better. I want to make that very clear. Like I would have been like, oh, this game was just faking their way through having a good story until they got to the end because the end didn't pay off. And that kind of changed the perspective. It was like, well, the end was good. Don't get me wrong. It just didn't do everything I wanted it to, and it was kind of hacked at the end. So I think this is a nine out of five, nine point nine, nine, nine out of ten out for me. Nine out of wow, nine, nine out of ten for me. I really like the game. I just the 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 intro to this game, like how much I like this game, made me want to like the game more. So like, keep doing great work, and get better. <laughs> I guess is my notes. Get better, Remedy. Get better. Um, man, it's interesting the different perspectives that all of us bring into the game as far as like what we're looking to get out of it or the pieces that ended up being the drivers for us. I think what's interesting, even through a two hour conversation is all the things that we didn't say. Yeah. There's like all of these other moments. There's these characters, these, these little things that, um, that we've like skirted around or skated over the top of that I think are like fascinating and make up so much of what the game has to say as well. Uh, as, as I went through it, it did feel very much 
like the culmination of what a studio has been seeking to achieve. And when technology budget resources come together, like they were finally able to put that all into a game, especially juxtaposed to what Alan Wake one was and what we played yeah just months ago which i'm grateful that we did go back to check that out ahead of this because it does offer such a stark difference of a lot of the same players or developers are involved with both games and so this you're seeing not only the learnings from it but i think the realization of what they wanted to achieve or what they were hoping to say through that um fully realized here And second to that, you are looking at, and I have to correct myself from early in the episode, Quantum Break, uh, Xbox One game, not 360. But yeah, critical error. You're going to get busted. You're looking at the building blocks that have come from each of their games and how those have ended up like creating this and kind of pulling what they view, or at least my perception is like what they view are like, what are the best moments? What are the things that work out best there? And I think one of the, a triumph of this game is that we didn't spend a lot of time talking about how it feels to play because it actually felt pretty good, especially in comparison to Alan Wake 1. Um, but I would almost reframe the game that it's a walking simulator with third-person action sequences. And a lot of the game is based yeah. around like... Gosh, I wish we talked about that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the discovery, the world uh, building, the different uh, story pieces that are put through, the way the episodics are sold. And it's also a game that was felt custom built for my shit. It's like, hey, here's like a highly produced thing that exists within a criminal world with these elements that are pulled from other pieces of media that you enjoy and we're also going to layer on like surrealism and not go too deep in the horror because that's not my shit and you end up coming together with something that i think is truly excellent but is missing something and that's where like Polly gets into where um sticking the ending i think does matter to some point right and the way that the the game does kind of come to a conclusion is a bit rushed into like, hey, like we we have momentum heading for the end state, but it's just like, all right, we need to like pull all these things together, and that's where I'm like, you may have reached too far with the story and pulled too many threads that you weren't able to sew back together, and I appreciate the ambition, but it does leave a. a super small element where i'm like there's just something that still separates it from being the last of us to me or something of that nature where you walk away from it and i'm like you executed every element of it right and so that's that's one of those places but i do look at it and i'm going to look back at 2023 and be like this was a crowning achievement of gaming in this year in a year that has a bunch of stuff going on that I'll look back and be like, yes, this is one of the great games of the year. And for that, I commend Remedy. And I'm even more excited to see where they go with Control 2, which has been announced previously, um, and kind of see as their studio continues to move forward, especially given like the well-deserved success that this has already had to start. So I'm, I am stoked to see where they go. And uh, I, I 
thoroughly enjoyed this. I would give it a five out of five. Hell yeah. Still in it. I just, uh, before we end it, I just want to be very clear. The things I was looking for at the end were absolutely not an answer to if Saga's kid is alive. I thought that was an excellent way to end it. I just want to be very clear for any idiots that yeah, are listening. We didn't even talk about if that. You think, if you think that was a bad ending, then you're wrong. Is she alive? <laughs> that was great. Yes. You think she's alive? Yeah. Polly's just not even going to answer us. He's like, this is the end. I feel like we should end it right there. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Until next time, the beginning of season 14. Bye-bye and happy New Year's from all of us here at Emotive Pixels. Cheers. Cheers.